Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Looking at a remarkable idea, an idea that has intrigued and attracted and literally thrilled thousands upon thousands of men, women, and children. And you, my friends, are about to witness this idea become a reality, for this is the story of the miracle sea in the desert. Michael Deacon, Michael, Michael Deacon, Michael Deacon, Michael Deacon, Michael Deacon. of California. My name is Michael, and I'm a mere figment of your imagination. I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First-time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a very different kind of show, a place where we don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Oh, yeah, live and direct right now on the TuneIn radio app. Search End of Days. You can also catch the podcast rendition of the program on most media platforms. Go to michaeldeacon.com for further assistance. Are you ready for a nuclear holocaust? How do you suppose you'll survive? Technology will definitely fail. It's only a matter of time. The question is, will you be ready? My guest this evening is Matthew Stein. He holds a Bachelor of Science and mechanical engineering from MIT. He's also a building contractor, is the author of numerous books such as When Disaster Strikes and When Technology Fails. He has appeared on numerous radio and television programs, and now he joins us here tonight. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. How's it going, boys and girls? I hope you feel as good as I do here tonight. I'm feeling tremendous. So much to get into here tonight. All hell broke loose for our friends out there in France. Definitely tonight will be a bit of a rattlesnake. Matt Stein joins us here in a moment. And on the second half of the program, I will be talking to Mr. Max Cole. You too can get involved by calling 760-332-8724. 
One more time, 760-332-8724. Now, without further ado, let's bring in our first guest. Matthew, are you alive and well? I am alive and well. Here I am. Incredible. I'm so glad you can join us here live and direct tonight on the program. And it's really been a long time since we last spoke. I believe it was 2015, Mr. Stein. Yeah, I looked, I looked it up. You're right. It was 2015. It's been a while. Well, thanks for having me on your show tonight, Michael. Oh, yes. No problem. I'm so glad you can be here. It was such a different show then. Now things are much better. But enough of that. How are you? I noticed that you've been doing a lot of skiing lately. <laughs> well, some. I, it's, the ski season's off to a good start here in Tahoe. Uh, probably the best early season conditions in the decade. And, uh, so I've been, I've gotten out a few times, uh, did a little cross country this afternoon, gonna go downhill skiing at Squaw Valley tomorrow. I've got a, one of those icon passes that gets me in there and a bunch of other places. But I actually mostly cross country and, and backcountry ski and, and, uh, downhill, social downhill with friends or on good powder days. Amazing. I really do appreciate you taking the time to conversate with all of us here tonight. And of course, you are the author of numerous books that focus on survival and of course, when technology fails. And it's such a great time to bring you on, especially with all the conflicts going on around the world. It's a tremendous time. Well, I think, I think what you're seeing today is just a preview of coming attractions. I think the refugee problem we saw, the European refugees from Syria, the collapsing state in Syria and, and from northern Africa, I think that in 10 years' time that the uh, the states that are still standing will be just crushed under under the load of refugees from failing states. I believe that between climate change and resource loss and biodiversity loss that you're going to see – you know, hundreds of millions of desperate people, not tens of millions, but hundreds of millions in another decade. So I, I think that we live in very interesting times and navigating a, a pathway through the future is going to be something that is, is going to be quite tricky Matt, and difficult. The, on, a, on a side note, are you close up to your microphone there? I am. Am I too close to it? Yeah, I think so. You're, you're kind of popping in just a tiny bit there. Okay. How's that now? Is that better? Oh, much better. Okay, yeah, I moved it a little further away. So, okay. Excellent. Yeah, that fixed everything. And by the way, you do sound amazing here on the, on the, on air. Oh, good. You have a great voice. Yeah, I forgot all about that. <laughs> well, you know, when you hear yourself in a recording, you always think like, oh, I sound funny because it's, it's not the same as what you hear in your head. But, oh, uh, I know, right? Glad, glad, glad I sound okay to you guys. Perfect. Yes. And of course, we both know very well that technology will fail. And it's only a matter of time before that goes down. And, of course, like I mentioned, with so many things going around the globe, it certainly feels like we are at a tipping point here in humanity. And I think you can agree with that completely. You just said what you did. So you're on board completely. And one one big issue I currently see here in America is that fact that most people really – don't do their own homework and they really lack discernment. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I think most people expect that scientists and politicians will take care of everything, that there's a technological, technological solution to everything and that everything's going to be fine. 
and you have all these scientists and engineers saying, hey, hey, we've got some like uh, huge problem. Business as usual is destroying the ecosystems of the planet. Um, 60 percent of what have we got? We've got 80 percent loss in the oceans and biomass. Uh, 60% in the last 40 years, 80% in 100 years. Uh, we've got 50% of all of the animals in the world. More than 50% are gone since I was a little kid. So just business as usual. I mean, if half of it's disappeared when I was a little kid, well, the other half is, it's, it's, and it's accelerating. The other half is going to be totally gone, like in the next 30 or 40 years. So we can't live on a planet where all the animals except humans are gone because humans will be gone too. You know, it's like we don't live in a vacuum. We, we, we have to have these other things as part of the planet to keep it together. So, so the scientists are saying, Hey, uh, politicians and everybody wake up. You know, we, we get these really disturbing trends and if we don't change them, um, it's going to be Ensville for civilization and perhaps for human beings. And and politicians are saying, well, the scientists will figure out a solution. And the scientists are saying, well, we have solutions. You're just not listening. So, so we're in a we're at a point in in this world where massive numbers of people are going to have to wake up and say, look, um, we want to do things differently because um, we're not children anymore. We can't behave as if this is an infinite planet that can withstand infinite growth and all of the punishment we give it that it's clearly going to die if we don't change what we're doing. And if you guys won't do it, then we, the people have to rise up and and make it happen. Now on the other side of the coin, we, the people can also say, Hey, I need to be ready because the, uh, I want to do the best for myself, my family, my community. And the, I need to be ready for things really falling apart in a bad way because, uh, because we're, are clearly men because that's worked out quite nicely for them. But it's not, it's not working out well for the animals of the planet. It's not working out well for the atmosphere of the planet. It's not working out well for the oceans of the planet or the coral reefs of the planet. And we don't live in a vacuum and we rely on these rainforests and coral reefs and oceans to provide stability for weather patterns and for food supplies for the planet and uh, in the insects. You know, we, we've lost like uh, we're losing places in Germany. Eighty percent of the insects are gone. Yeah, that's, um, that's insane. You know, so so with three quarters of our food supply depending on insect pollinators and and even places like, you know, places way away from agriculture, the insects are way down. So. It, it, it's like we're destroying these systems of the world. So if we keep doing that, uh, we, you know, it, it's going to bounce back and get us. And, uh, and so, so on the one hand, you can say, Hey, let's, let's be part of, part of the solution and be part of the awakened people of the world who say, look, um, we need to change how we're doing business in the world or none of us are going to be around much longer. And on the other hand, you can say, okay, I need to also be ready for collapse on varying degrees because these trends are going in that direction. And if if the world's not successful at doing radical changes, which it's not showing any signs of doing in the near future, then I need to be ready for things falling apart pretty badly and, and doing the best for my friends and my family and, and myself and my community. And so – so you look at it in the micro level and you look at it in the macro level, like like what can I do as an individual human being and to do the best for myself, my family, and the planet. And by the way, to backtrack just quickly here, how did you get involved 
and all of these things, what made you pursue this route, in other words? Well, I've... I've kind of, I have a bachelor of science from MIT. I grew up, um, in Vermont. My, my father was raised in New York City, but ached for green and country. And, and, uh, he met my mom skiing in Vermont and, and, uh, and he, he said one of the best things that happened to him was he was a poor kid. So in college, so he had to stay in a, in a bunk in a youth hostel and the rich kids stayed in a nice lodge and that's where he met my mom. So I, I was raised with sort of an appreciation for the outdoors and I spent tons of time in the wilderness and hiking and camping and then as I got older climbing and mountaineering. And I've been somewhat ecologically aware of, you know, degradation on the planet. But back in 1997, I had a, a life changing event when I was meditating and praying early in the morning, uh, which is something I'd done for like 20 years uh, since I'd been zapped by a very powerful yogi that, that, you know, while as a junior year at MIT, in my junior year, in between junior and senior year at MIT, different story. But anyway, so I'm meditating in the morning in 1997, roughly Thanksgiving, and I generically asked for guidance and inspiration, and I got a bomb dropped in my lap that morning. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, definitely as, tell me about as, that. Yeah. It was like, you know, I mean, we've all made that kind of like, okay, God, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? You know, that kind of thing. And I basically said, hey, you know, I'm meditating and praying and said, you know, could you guide me? What, what am I supposed to do? And By the way, I, I'm sorry to stop you there, but now I'm completely interested and knowing exactly what you were feeling at this time, were you someone that was lost in life, per se, at this time? Not in the least. Not in the, Not least. In the least. You were just no, going I, on like a spiritual type? I I had a, 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 a regular practice of pretty much daily, an hour or so of, of meditation with a little prayer in there. And, and um, it was generally a very nice way to spend an hour and... I'd, I'd sometimes receive inspiration for design work I was working on or personal problems I was working on. And, but, and it's just sort of a nice, quiet time. And I'd sometimes receive inspiration and solutions to problems, uh, uh, personal or whatever. Okay. But I, so I just generically asked for guidance and inspiration. I've, I've had a number of knock your socks off, mind blowing spiritual experiences in my life, starting when, uh, I was drowning at age six and, uh, and I'd given up when the first time in my life the voice of spirit spoke in my head and, and it said, Matthew, try one more time. When you were I drowning. Actually, I was drowning. I, I had given up and in, in, in my mind I oh resigned my. myself to that I was dead, that, that it was six years old. I'd, uh, and it's the opening story of my new book, um, that I'm still working on. It'll be out sometime next year, I hope. And, um, I'd let myself out a, uh, out the back door at a dinner party, my parents and I had, I had five kids in the family. I was next to youngest and we got to this dinner party and I, me and my little brother fought a lot and there was no kids my age. So I got bored and I let myself out the back door and snuck across the road and went down to the beach and it was deserted. And it was a summer afternoon, Vermont, kind of cloudy day. So no was on the beach. And I, you know, after wandering around the beach for a while, I thought, well, I'll just check out this dock and I, 
And I knew I didn't, I knew I couldn't swim, so I thought I was being really smart, you know. <laughs> I mean, I was really stupid, but I thought I was being smart. Right. So I go out the dock and I lower myself in the water and check out how deep it was, and then I pull myself up, and like a lot of places in Vermont, there was sandbars, and there was a long dock that went quite a ways out, and I'm, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, it's probably like a hundred foot long dock, and I'm like ten feet from the end, and the water's barely up to my belly button. So I just run and jump off the end. And, uh, you know, I looked at the end, and it didn't look that deep. And so I just jumped in, and, and uh, it was way over my head. So I'm leaping off the bottom, trying to break the water and and, and catch the end of the dock. And and, uh, and, I, and I'm able to break the surface of the water several times and get a little bit of air in my lungs. But after about a dozen tries, I'm exhausted, and I've started breathing water in. I've got mixture of water and, lung, and air in my lungs. And... And I'm just exhausted. And, and I, when I was fresh, I wasn't coming anywhere near the docks, so I just give up. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a skinny little kid, so I'm sinking like a stone down to the bottom. And I'm watching the light reflect off the top, and I'm, and I'm thinking in my head, like, well, what's, what's it going to feel like oh when my. I, when I suck in water, a right. full breath of, you know, just that when you can't hold your breath anymore, and you just like that, and your oh. brain sucked in, and it's all water. And I'm just thinking, like, oh, that's going to be really bad. And, uh, and then this really calm, clear, commanding voice speaks inside my head and just goes, uh, Matthew, try one more time. And in my muddled brain of the drowning six-year-old boy, I, I think, kind of think, well, what's the point? Um, but I do as the voice commands, and I can't claim I saw angels. I can't claim I felt hands. But I jump off the bottom one last time, and it's as if hands grab me around the waist and, and lift me out of the water. And I just soar out of the water and grab the dock, pull myself up on the dock, cough the water out of my lungs, and roll around on there and dry myself off. And, and for about a half hour, let the let myself dry. And then I slowly walk across the road and through the meadow and over to the house and let myself back in the door and didn't tell a soul for 40 years. And, uh, you never told I mean, no one. My my mom would have beat the crap out of me if she'd known what I'd done. Of so course. I, uh, yeah, I was didn't dare open my mouth about that. Wow, one. you're you're really lucky, by the way, because I think drowning is probably the worst way to go out. Well, I I I'd much rather drown than burn to death myself. Oh, that's yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> every time anyway. I think of any time so, I think of drowning, I always think of drowning in the ocean for some reason. Yeah. So anyway, terrible. Uh, go ahead. In 1997, then, I was meditating. Like I said, I've, I've had a string of, of powerful spiritual experiences off and on throughout my life, um, which doesn't, which, you know, has been hard to blend sometimes with my MIT scientific mind. But, uh, every time, every time I get too wrapped up in the scientific side of things and then I get another spiritual experience that kind of slaps me around a little and says, hey, hey, you know, um, Science is good, but it's it's just one side of the equation. It's it's not the whole thing. You know, you got to balance it with with the perspective of spirit too. So uh, well, that's true. So I end up. So I just generically ask for guidance and inspiration, which I've probably done, you know, a hundred times in my life, but don't always hear anything. Then on this particular day, I had a bomb dropped in my lap. As soon as I asked, um, all of a sudden into my head flooded this massive highly detailed pictorial storyboard style outline for a, a book, a, a really huge book project to help people live more sustainably, more self-reliantly, 
and help them to plan for, deal with, and cope with uh, long-term collapse in central services. So my first thought was uh, no effing way. It's like uh, I don't know all this stuff. I, uh, I'm an engineer. I'm not an author, and and I don't think I can do this. And uh, Jesus calls it the still small voice, the little voice of spirit spoke in my head and said, well, uh, nobody knows it all. And that voice assured me that I had the skills and talents that if I chose to take the assignment on, that I get the inner and outer help that I needed to uh, to finish it off. And so for the next year, I, I read a bunch, I read a few books and, and I talked to some friends about the idea. I, I dug up Howard Rheingold, who'd taken over from Stuart Brand on the whole Earth Catalog, and he thought it was a great idea. And my friend Rick Sylvester wrote articles for Outside Magazine, some other magazines, thought it was a great idea. And... Another friend, Perlman, uh, Eric Perlman, a filmmaker, documentary filmmaker, thought it was a good idea and encouraged me on how to write a proposal. So then I, second year, I wrote, read about 30 books, tons of reading and research for the project and wrote a 200-page proposal and found a publisher and got a $10,000 advance to help cover expenses, which seems like a lot, but I bought $6,000 in research books. <laughs> so if you subtract 6000 from the 10000 only gave me 4000 to live on, which certainly isn't enough for a wife and two kids That's and, right. and a mortgage payment. So I, I racked up the credit cards, and I'd work about 10 hours a week on engineering and about 70 hours a week on, on the book on the for book. nine months. And so... I'd work 12-hour days, six days a week, and on Sunday I don't. I'd allow myself to work from six in the morning till like noon, and then uh, give myself the afternoon off. That was my day off, I'm only a six-hour day on Sunday. So, so I got it done. I, uh, and then in 2008, I put another year of labor and, and research and writing into a major update with the second edition in 2008, and uh, here I am today. Amazing. And of course, the books are When Disaster Strikes and When Technology Fails. And by the way, When Technology Fails is such a big book, by the way. Massive yeah, it's, book. It's my opus. I mean, if you look at the bibliography in the, at the end of the book, it's like 20 page long, just on the bibliography alone. So it was a huge, huge. I read more books while writing that book than my entire life put together. So... Um, you know, high, grade school, high school, four years of MIT, 20 years after MIT, you put all those together, all the reading I did in all those years together, I read more just writing the first edition of When Technology Fails, and then I read another 30 or 40 books uh, writing the second edition. So it was uh, it was a huge undertaking, and I'm really proud of it. I mean, it, it covers um, – it's a practical how-to book. But I think that a couple of the most important chapters in it are the two non-how-to books. The, the second chapter on present trends, possible futures, it talks about the best scientific writings and what's actually going on in the planet and where we're headed. And then the last chapter, which is um, making the shift to sustainability, avoiding collapse. How do we how do we avoid collapse and actually make a world that works in the long run instead of something that makes a lot of people rich and wealthy in the short run and kills the planet in the long run. You know, it, it's like um, we with with more than half the, you know, 80% of the biomass in the ocean has gone and, and more than 50% of all the animals in the world gone since I was a kid. Uh, we can't keep, we can't keep that going on in that trend much longer and yeah, the that, trend's getting worse, not better. Yeah, that coral reef is definitely dying out. 
Well, 25% of it's dead and 50% endangers short-term collapse. So, so that would leave only like 25% left, um, probably another 30 years when we have 25% of the world's coral reefs left and we'll probably have 10% of the world's, um, rainforest left. So between the coral reefs and the rainforest, those are like the lungs of the world. And, uh, so we're, we're radically disrupting the ecosystems. And plus these, each tree, like each giant, uh, coniferous or deciduous tree, each full mature tree supposedly has the evaporative surface area of like a 40 acre lake. Now it seems outrageous to me. I haven't done the calculation, but it was from a reputable source that I got that number. So each of these massive trees acts as a giant water pump where the rain falls and then the trees have these huge networks of, of roots. They suck the moisture back up into the leaves and needles and then it, it, it evaporates out into the air and like a big evaporative cooler and then it and then it falls as rain downstream. So when you cut down these forests, um, not only are you changing the carbon oxygen cycle in the world but you're also changing the water weather cycle. So, for example, um, the Fertile Crescent was uh, the area in the Tigris and Euphrates River, and many believe it was the location of the biblical Garden of Eden. And it's where civilization first flourished about 10,000 years ago. And it was so such an amazingly wonderful climate that cities spawned and they cut the forest down and they irrigated the land and they farmed and they built great civilizations. Well, that fertile crescent is now Iraq and Iran. It's like a mostly desert wasteland and very dry and, and the soil has long since been depleted and gotten salt salty from all of the irrigation right. and Desert and desertified because they cut all the trees down to build all those cities and for all the civilization. And so now we're doing that on not a little scale, but on a massive scale all over the planet. So we're affecting the, the systems that have, you know, made our planet nice and livable for human beings for the last 10,000 years. And, uh, and it's not going to be so livable and nice for human beings, uh, in the near future. Yeah, not uh, for long if we keep this up. And speaking of which, I did want to get your opinion on this. And sure. The fact that anytime global warming and if humans are responsible for it, anytime that gets brought up to politicians, there's such a backlash, especially the mainstream media. What's your take on that, Matthew? Why, why do you well, believe there's so much backlash, though? Well, the interesting thing is that there's no backlash in every other developed country in the world. In other words, it's not a political, it's not politicized. That's true. Anywhere else in the world. Except here. Except in America. In, in, if you go to Europe and stuff, it's not a right left issue. They just say, hey, the science says that this is happening. Uh, the physicists say this, the climatologists say this. Um, sure, you know, the earth has gone through huge weather fluctuations throughout countless millennia. But all of those fluctuations can be tracked to changes in CO2 from to changes in orbital fluctuations, to same changes in solar fluctuations. Um, you know, out, output of the sun can vary in through different cycles, and there's very complex geophysical calculations, astrophysics. They can calculate when Saturn and Jupiter line up with the Earth and pull its orbit further from the sun, and when they're on the opposite direction. And those don't think, they don't all, all the planets don't go around the Earth the same year. Like Mercury goes around like 37 days, and Mars, and a Mars year is like 20 years, and ours, and Jupiter year, you know, Pluto year is like 
a thousand years or something. I don't know. But they're all very complex calculations because none of the planets are all like synchronized with each other. But they do line up at certain times and, and Jupiter and Saturn are big enough to cause the Earth's orbit to fluctuate when That's they're true. lined up with us. And so in the, all of these historical major weather fluctuations can be justified based on very complicated science looking at you know ice core samplings and mud core samplings and and things like that and the current thing that's happening is like no there's there's none of these other reasons are why our weather's changing it's human changes in the environment human changes in the greenhouse gases and the planet are causing it now and you know another time sure it was other things it was volcanoes it was an asteroid hit that wiped out the Yucatan Peninsula 65 million years ago that wiped out the dinosaurs and you know and then there was a a big uh they believe it was and the oceans turned got warm and turned and you had a methane burp that that you know 200 350 million years ago or something that wiped out almost all life on the planet and, and things had to start all over again. So, you know, so there's been major, major blips, but these are like 65 million years ago, the dinosaurs went away. 250 million years ago, the pre-Permian era that the, you know, the methane blip, the methane burp caused the, you know, 95% of, of the animal life on the planet to go away. Uh, now we're talking a very short-term blip from human beings that um, that seem to be having a similar consequence in the planet, and it's getting worse and not better. Yeah, I agree with you, and it's also very hard to watch different political, I guess, pundits out there on television talking about this, and they feel they know a lot more than actual scientists. It, it's kind of hard to really consume that sort of notion. Well, the, the actual science is that 97% of the climate scientists believe that it's almost certainly man-caused. Man 3% aren't sure. And then there's a, there's a very small percentage that, and, and realize for scientists to be sure is like much, it, it has to be so clear to be totally sure, you know, that proven something. It's, it's not like our, our normal people's level of proof. It's like way beyond that. And so, um, so this fact that 97% consensus is, is that we're doing it, that's pretty huge. And many of the people in the 3% are funded by political you know like for example exxon corporation turned out back in the 70s they were well aware of, cl of climate science and they were worried how bad it was going to be for their business so just like the cigarette companies who'd been well aware of the dangers of cigarettes the cigarette companies went out and hired a bunch of junk scientists to you know in the 70s That's to also say true, yeah. that that cigarettes were okay, that, you know, that it wasn't conclusive that they caused cancer and this and that and the other thing. And they knew full well it was addictive and it was horrible for the health and all that. But they hired junk scientists to cloud the issue. Um, and then it came back and bit them later on when they had huge lawsuits then, and people said – and then they uncovered that they actually knew – and had done their own tests and knew how horrible it was and was telling and were promoting junk science to, to say it wasn't that bad. Well, it turns out Exxon did the same thing. ExxonMobil did the same thing where they in the 70s knew about climate scientists, climate science, and they knew and, and they saw it coming and that the data was looking worse and worse and worse and more conclusive. And what did they do? 
they were worried about its effect on their business, so they hired a bunch of junk scientists. In fact, some of the same scientists had been hired by the cigarette companies, and uh, and they went and and, and clouded the water, muddied muddied the water um, by promoting junk scientists to to you know spin in the opposite direction, so it would have the minimal uh, minimal bad effect on their business model. So uh, yeah, going by the general consensus. You know, I think it, it is very real, and that's what the data, the actual data says. So I tend to lean towards that. The law of cause and effect is very real, my friends. Well, the physics is there, and the data is there to support it. Now, I had a really interesting night one night um, when I was working on the second edition of When Technology Fails. I attended a conference in San Francisco, and I've been trying to get all the Stephen Schneider, who was – the head of the IPCC, and he's a climate scientist, professor emeritus at uh, Stanford University, and he co-accepted the Nobel Peace Prize on behalf of the IPCC alongside Al Gore back when, whenever that happened. And uh, I'd read some of the online criticisms about Stephen Schneider that, you know, back in the 70s, he predicted uh, an ice age coming, and then he switched to global warming, and people said, well, he's just following the money and this and that. And... <laughs> So I right. At first, he's like, "Well, why do I want to listen to you?" You know, I mean, it's like, I, you know, he's a fam- world famous scientist, and I'm a nobody, and 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 he just like, "Why do I want to listen to you?" And, and I said, "Well, I I have the ability to read the the best scientific writings in the world and distill the essence of them, and then kind of give back the Reader's Digest version that people can understand the average and, and in a way that's enter- reading and entertainable and entertaining and understandable." Right. And then he said, well, how many books have you sold? And I said, well, at that point, I said, oh, I've sold, you know, about 50,000, 40,000 books. And he said, oh, he said, you know, all of his years and his dozen academic books he sold, I'd sold more of my one first book than he'd sold in his, you know, illustrious career as professor emeritus and a world famous climatologist. So, so he said, okay, I'll have a beer with you. So we sat down and we spent like a few hours together. It was very entertaining. Unfortunately, he died about a year later from cancer. Oh, no. Um, Not but, lung cancer, uh, I hope. What'd you say? I Not hope. lung cancer. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, no. Yeah, and I said, hey, well, I'll get some alternatives. He said, oh, don't worry. I'm, I'm doing good. You know, I'm getting some treatments and we're doing really good. Well, uh, you know, a year later he was gone. Um, anyway, he, so he got very animated when I mentioned how you know, he'd once predicted uh, an ice age, and then he switched to predicting global warming. And he mm. said, look, you know, science isn't perfect, and we're just trying to understand both cooling and and uh, warming aspects. So at the time, he said, we were primarily looking at CO2 as a, as a uh, greenhouse gas, but they weren't looking at the other gases that all combined together equals the same roughly – this, you know, the other gases like CFCs and, and methanes and things together, the effect is about equal to the CO2 effect. So he said, we're only looking at CO2. So we underestimated the warming effect by two to one. And then we were looking at the cooling effect of like coals and, and air pollutions. But he said it turned out that the, the particulate matter, like the coal power plants and stuff, was primarily in the northern hemisphere, not in the southern hemisphere, and it settled out twice as fast as we expected. So he said when we did actual tests and data, we found out that we'd overestimated the cooling effect by two to one and underestimated the warming effect by two to one. 
So when the cooling effect was cut in half and the warming effect was doubled, then it was like, oh, we're not headed for an ice age. We're headed for cooking ourselves. And then there's feedback effects on the planet that were not that well understood then, too, that got becoming became to be more and more understood. So some of those feedback effects are as you warm and the northern latitudes lose their snow cover sooner, the snow reflects the sunlight out to space. And so when you have less snow coverage for less of the year, less ice cap coverage, then all of a sudden those dark blue waters start sucking in the sun instead of reflecting when they're ice covered, then they're reflecting the sun's heat back out to space when they're when the ice is gone, then it's sucking it into the depths of the ocean. So those effects are, you know, causing more an acceleration in, in the climate change. And then the, the cutting down the forest is causing a, an acceleration in the climate change. And, and the methane releases is causing acceleration in climate change. So I the don't methane. Think the, is, uh, I don't think those California fires helped either. No, no. So, and so it's kind of one of those things that as it starts going one direction, it, it tends to like pick up speed and, and all these things start snowballing together, uh, to create the opposite effect of a snowball. But, uh, yes, they, all those things start going together to, to make matters worse. And so we're kind of in the early stages of the making matters worse. The, the other thing is that these effects are long-term and slow. Um, so what we're seeing now primarily is the, the effect of what we did 20 years ago. And a lot more has happened in the last 20 years. And so we won't really see the full brunt of that effect for another 20 years. Cause it's, it's, it, the, these are really slow systems effects that take a long term. They, they have a long cycle time for them to, to really show up. So, so we can be doing a lot of damage and not see the, the brunt of it for 20, 30, 40, 50 years after what we've done. So, so it, it it's kind of like, like if you've got a speeding freight train, it takes a really long time to slow that train down to a stop. Uh, you know, if it's a really heavy train full of all kinds of freight. So we're kind of in that now where we, we, we're speeding up and speeding up and it's, it's not like something we can just put the brakes on and stop immediately. It's, it's a, it's a long lag time before we're able to slow down the effects and, and reverse the effects of what we've done in the last 20 years. Right. And that leads me to ask you about the six trends that you speak of in terms of the perfect storm for collapse. Yeah, I've, I've written two articles that went quite viral on the internet after, after I wrote the second edition of When Tech Fails. And, uh, one is called uh, The Perfect Storm, Six Trends Converging on Collapse. So basically I, I, I try, you know, it's a simplification, but it's something you can get wrap your mind around. So I said, okay, we've got these six major threats. Each one is potentially a civilization buster. And so, all of them are headed for the wall. So like in high school, we all draw graphs and algebra and stuff. And, you know, if the graph of a trend is headed for the bottom and you don't do something different, it's going to hit the bottom. So um, Einstein has been quoted as saying, uh, and it may not be Einstein, it may be somebody else, but anyway, it's attributed popularly to Einstein, is the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again while expecting a different result. So here are the six threats. I'll just go through them briefly, and then we can go into more depth. And we've already talked about them some. So number one no is climate change. 
and I often call it global weirding, not just global warming, because some parts of the world will be hotter and drier, some parts will be colder and wetter, um, some parts will be, you know, it's it. You'll see more severe storms, you'll see worse droughts, worse floods, um, all over the map because it's a complex system. So we're changing the stability of the system. So it's not just going to be warmer everywhere. It's, it's going to be kind of all over the map. The average trend is warmer, but, uh, like I said, you know, it, it'll, it'll depend on what part of the world where you are in that trend. Like for instance, uh, one of the effects of this, because of the, the Greenland ice cap melting, it changes the density of the ocean around Greenland because of all this fresh water coming into the salty water of the ocean because of the melting ice cap in Greenland. And that affects the Gulf current. So the Gulf current is down to like 25% of what it was 20 years ago. And so as the Gulf current slows down, then northern Europe gets colder in the winter, hotter in the summer from global warming, but colder in the winter because the Gulf current is no longer shuttling this warm water from Florida all the way across past Iceland to northern Europe to keep it warmer in the winter. And so that part of the world has, is experiencing uh, colder, harsher winters uh, because, for instance, um, Germany is like in the same northern latitude as Siberia, but Germany's a lot warmer because it's got the warmer North Sea around there, warmed by the Gulf Current. So if the Gulf Current goes away, then Germany becomes more like Siberia in the winter. So anyway, the next one is peak oil. Now, we've gotten a reprieve from peak in world oil production with fracking, but the fracked wells have a very short lifespan, and you got to frack, frack, frack. So like typically a, a, a fracked well, that's an oil well where they – they go down and they drill horizontally. They have these ways of turning their drilling machines, you know, right and left and drilling laterally. And then they pump in sand and water at very high pressures and it, and it fractures the cracks, uh, the, the rocks, the, this, this, um, porous rock that holds the oil and it fractures the rock and then it releases oil from the rock. So, We've gotten a reprieve in America because we had these like super rich oil fields that were in decline because we, 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 we were the, back in the 1950s and 60s, America was the Saudi Arabia of the world. We were the number one oil exporter. In the 70s and 80s, we became the number one world oil importer instead of exporter. But, but in the, you know, 30s, 40s and 50s, we exported more oil than anyone else in the world. And we started the whole oil well thing off in the beginning. The first oil well drilled was in Pennsylvania. And, and we got greedy. Well, we just used it. <laughs> I mean, it, it helped, it helped power the, make, it helped make the United States the most powerful uh, country in the world, industrial power in the world. As we had, we had plentiful steel, we had plentiful oil, we had all these great natural resources in this country. And so it made us into this huge manufacturing, um, powerhouse, you know, mega, mega power. Right. And, but then because we were the manufacturing mega power, we eventually started running out of our own stuff. So we started importing it from all around the world, which is more expensive than getting it from your own place. And now, so fracking has given us a reprieve. It's a way of going back into these areas and busting up the rock with pumped in high pressure, uh, sand and water. And it's very terrible, bad for the environment. Very. And it used tons and tons of fresh water. gets highly polluted by being pumped into fracked wells. But it makes lots of oil. Uh, but it's very expensive process. So most of the frackers are losing money and constantly borrowing money. And it's kind of weird that, you know, here we are, like, 
producing more oil than the United States ever has before, and we're losing tons of money doing it. <laughs> you know, it's like it's a really weird thing. Like, how long can Wall Street keep propping up the um, American frackers? So that nine out of ten of those frackers are 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 pumping oil at a loss. I, you know, it's it's like it's like how how can you run a business when you're losing money every year? I, and, and you know, and and then claim it's a huge success. So it's a weird thing. So anyway, so let's move off of peak oil. But basically, that's given us a reprieve where um, our our oil production 15 years ago was really dropping, and world oil production uh, prices were rising radically, and that caused like the 2008 crash because oh. we had 100. $165 a barrel oil, and then it crashed down to $30 a barrel. And so now fracking has kind of given us a reprieve where we're like, like at, you know, $50, $60 a barrel, and we really need $80 a barrel for most of the frackers to make money. So it's a, it's a weird business they're in now. To, I'm to just like pumping oil in, at a loss. Right. And, you know, I'm how completely, long can we keep doing that? yeah, Matt, I'm completely baffled that it's almost 2019 and we're still using uh, oil for so much. When there's yeah. so many alternatives out there. Well, and, and, and we're burning up this great material that oil can be used for plastics and this and that, all kinds of things. And we're just burning it up. Once it's gone, it's gone. It's not That's like, true. it's not like, you know, I mean, it, there are people say that it's adiabatic and the earth keeps producing it and blah, 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 blah. But realistically, I don't think so. There's a lot of, you know, really depleted oil fields that are just not coming back in a hurry. Like the North Shore of Alaska is, is, you know, pumping at about a quarter of what it was 20 years ago. Uh, the North Sea from England, uh, Margaret Thatcher sold tons of oil at $10 a barrel and fund, you know, and it funded this huge economy in England. Well, now they're importing oil at $70 a barrel and, and their own oil is, is much of that is gone. So now they've gone from being an oil exporter to an oil importer. And and they exported at ten dollars a barrel, and now they're importing at seventy dollars a barrel. So wow, that that was a real win situation, right? And uh, <laughs> yes. so so, but but that's going to be happening all over the world. So so this is this is something that we've had a reprieve from fracking, and in, in you know five to ten years, it's going to be hugely in our face. So number three is one we already talked about: the collapse of the world's oceans. Uh, the fisheries are collapsing all around the world. They're, you know, they're having to go further and further and further away from, from like main places like the EU. They go all over the world with their factory ships to fish remote places because, you know, the Mediterranean's fished out and the North Sea's fished out and George's banks off of America was like totally dead and they had to ban all fishing in it. It's coming back a little richest fishery in the world just gone. You know, there was thousands of fisher, fishing boats used to go out there all the time. It's just dead. It's oh, gone. by the way, Matt, on a side note, speaking of fish, are, are you still eating seafood? I am. I am, but um, lim- limited things. But about once a week, I have salmon uh, for the omega that's, Yeah, that's one thing I can't completely omega cut. Omega-3s. Right. That's one thing I can't completely cut out of my diet is salmon. Uh, I'm addicted to that, even though I know I probably shouldn't be eating so much uh, seafood. Well, one of the things I do is I take modifilin, and that's M-O-D-I-F-I-L-A-N, and you can get it at motophilin.com. And that is a juiced kelp extract that was developed in Russia after post-Chernobyl. Uh, and they found that the, the, the motophilin bonds to heavy metals in the body and dumps them out your urine. 
And so they found that uh, the people were suffering from radiation poisoning from Chernobyl. They take motophilin, and it really helps. But it also dumps lead out and, and, and mercury. And mercury is in is gets compounded in the in the food chain in um, predator seafood like tuna fish and mackerel and salmon and mm. stuff and uh, and so so the the mercury and the and the radioactive stuff from Fukushima so um, I don't think there's there's not much radiation in there but the motophilin really helps dump it out and so it so. I'm more concerned actually with mercury in the salmon than I am with radioactive uh, isotopes, but the motophilin takes care of both of them. And so, so I figure I'm, the good stuff, the omega-3s from the, from the salmon are, are really, really good for you, anti-aging and for your health. And so I, but I do take the motophilin like two caps a day just to, uh, to, on, to be on the safe side to, to help keep dumping heavy metals radioactive and, and mercuries out of my body. So. Amazing. Yeah. I'm going to have to uh, take note on that. Yeah, and uh, so then the coral reefs, we already mentioned that between climate change and all the overfishing and the pollution, that right. 25% of the world's reefs are gone, and 50% are in danger of short-term collapse. Planktons, those are the bottom of the food chain. And one study shows that uh, 73% of the zooplanktons, that's like what the basis for the ocean food chain is, tiny little microscopic kind of plant animal things. Correct. 73% gone since the 1960s and 50% of that is 50%, like one out of two of those planktons disappeared since 1990. So uh, in my, I mean, I was born in the 50s. So in my life, three quarters of the uh, zooplankton has disappeared out of the ocean in, in my lifetime. Um, Wild stuff. And, yeah, and so that's all big part of the carbon oxygen cycle is both the planktons and the coral reefs. And so when we just start destroying those, then that that's part of the long-term health of our of um the air we breathe and and the food chain cycles in the oceans. And so it's like it's no wonder that the insects are disappearing and the fish are disappearing out of the world. Uh and the, the bees. forests, what'd you say? Oh, and the bees too. The bee, well, the bees are part of the insects, and right. the birds. The birds eat the insects, so the birds are disappearing too. It's so a, a it, very it's like terrible cycle. Yeah. yeah, and then the forests of the world, half the forests of the world, have been gone since the industrial revolution started. Um, and then food. There's the food is number four trend, and that's based on the water cycles, the soils, and the climate. So. Um, one of the things is is uh, soils is that factory farming it basically flushes is like dead soils um, when you spray the soils with pesticides and f- chemical fertilizers they're like dead soils so a normal teaspoon of rich organic hummus soil with a lot of organic material in it has more than six billion microorganisms in like a tablespoon of soil. And so that means there's more microorganisms in a, in a tablespoon of rich organic soil than there are people in the world. And when you factory farm that soil, then you're, you're, you're killing all those organisms and you're relying on just putting in like three or four nutrients, you know, PKA, you know, phosphorus and, and, um, a few, you know, just a few different in a few a few different nutrients in there artificially, and normally the soils that are rich with all those microorganisms they they give off organic acids that dissolve 
the metals and minerals in the soil and the microorganic nutrients that are sucked up into the plants that we eat. So when you're eating factory uh, farmed plants, then you're getting plants that are devoid of a lot of the micronutrients because you don't have the microbiological actions going. Plus, you're taking all this rich topsoil that it took millions of years or certainly hundreds of thousands of years uh, for the, the earth to grow the rich topsoil and that's grown by plants growing up and dying and then, you know, in, in earth you upcycle everything. The, everything that grows, dies, makes, makes where it lived a richer place because uh, the nutrients that was embodied in it that was sucked up in that animal or organism or plant gets put back into the soil and makes it a richer soil for that thing growing. Whereas human beings are the opposite. We downcycle. You know, we, we, we take stuff and even when we recycle it, it becomes like a poorer material than it was in, in its first refined form. And so we're constantly making the soils more depleted and less rich, whereas nature makes them more rich and, and better. So long term, we're going to see a food crisis because of changing climate, because of desertification where we're not recycling the moisture through all the plants we've cut down, the trees we've cut down, and and the depleting soils, so all of those. And then the last, and perhaps the biggest one, is uh, population, which is an unpopular subject. But uh, just get your head about this. When Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, there was a quarter of a billion people on the planet. It took the next thousand years to double that quarter of a billion to make a billion people on the planet, to make a half a billion. It took the next 800 years from the year 1000 approximately to the year 1800 to double that to 1 billion. And then it took from 1800 to 1930, just 130 years. So it took 800, took a thousand years for the first doubling. Took 800 years for the next doubling. Took 130 years for the next doubling to 1930. Says 130 years there. Now, when I was a kid in the 19 in in the you know around 1960, I was born in 56. We reached three billion people. So between 1960 and now, what's that? That's coming up to you know close to 60 years, 55 years. Yeah. We've gone two and a half times that. We've, we've doubled, we, we've gone from 3 billion to 7.5 billion. So we doubled, we doubled that between 1960 and roughly 2000 to hit 6 billion. And from 2000 to now, we've gone from 6 billion to 7.5. So in every decade now on this planet, we're adding more people to the world than were added between when Jesus rocked the earth and Abraham Lincoln was born. So from the time of Jesus' birth to Abraham Lincoln, that's 1,800 years, every decade now we're adding more people than were added from Jesus to Abraham Lincoln. And that's how exponential growth works. So if you take like a pond and you say that in 30 days this pond has an algae bloom happening in the pond, and every day the, the amount of algae in the pond doubles, and, and in 30 days, it's going to be totally filling the pond. When is it half filled? If in 30 days, that pond is totally filled and is doubling every day, when's it half filled? 29 days. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say so 30 it, days, but in, in 29 days, it's half filled with algae. And in that last day, 
It goes from half filled to totally filled and choked with algae in just the last day. That's the way exponential growth works. And so that's what we're seeing right now is we're in that last day on this planet right now in, in terms in terms of geological time, we're in that last day right, right now when when we go from everything looking okay to everything being totally screwed. And and we're in that last one day period of geological time where it goes from looking okay to totally screwed. Um, just like that pond in that last day goes from being half choked with algae, half filled with algae to totally choked with algae just in the single last day when it's doubling every day. So that's that's the way exponential growth works, and uh, and so we're there. So it's a very interesting time to be on the planet because we have all this amazing stuff available to us, the internet and all this knowledge and all this cool stuff. I mean, I can go powder skiing one day, and I could go down to the coast and go surfing the next day, and I can fly around the world if I want to. And a few weeks ago, uh, I got flown to Copenhagen for work. I'd only been to Europe twice in my life. And oh, nice! It's not like I'm a rich guy. And yes, I got paid to go there. And, and so this is like an amazing opportunity, an amazing time to be alive on the planet. It really but is. Even though there's all these conflicts and the never ending doom and gloom, uh, Iran testing out the, the nukes and, uh, North Korea basically defining the president and all sorts of different things going on. It really is an amazing time. Yeah, well, we got a reality TV show for the president right now. And, Good Lord, uh, you know, do we, we ever. We have a reality TV star, and, and, and true to his form, he's, he's making sure that he's got your attention every day in the media. And, uh, and you gotta tune in each day to see what happened on this amazing reality TV show. <laughs> it really is a reality TV show, and that's one of the things that I've always had, uh, a little bit of a beef with, with the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. He's someone I've always blamed and pointed fingers at for being responsible for the whole reality TV series uh, era. That whole thing on VH1 and all of that carried over for decades to come. He wasn't responsible for that. He was responsible for bringing that into our government. (laughs) But he had a little help. He had a little help from Russia. He had a little help from James Comey. That's what they say. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... um. You know, it, it's interesting times. It'll be – I heard back in the beginning – Well, they called him a criminal. That, that's the first time I've ever heard that before. Yeah. Well, well, I heard Whoa. that insiders on, in the FBI before – you know, around the time he was elected said that, you know, they said, well, we can't – you know, we can't tell you our names and stuff, but we believe he'll be spending – if what if what we know he's done comes – sees the light of day – He'll be spending the the remaining years of his life in jail, and 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 I thought, oh no, they gotta be, you know, no way, no way. But uh, now I'm not so sure. So we'll we'll see what happens. But, well, the uh, thing the thing about that is, no one with with that much power actually ever goes to jail for some odd reason. I know it is discouraging. I mean, Nixon didn't go to jail, and he broke a lot of laws, and a lot of the guys who worked for him under his direction did spend time in jail. Um, the Iran Contra scandal. Oh yes. They uh, clearly, you know, it's hard to believe that Reagan didn't know what was going on and direct those guys, but he didn't have the smoking gun like Nixon did. And so a bunch of his guys went to jail, but he didn't. You know, he came up smelling like a rose. And I just can't imagine that that he didn't have his hands in it. Um, You you know, there's there's been the secret government and the secret stuff, and I'm sure it's been bad on both Democratic and Republican sides. Terrible on both, yes. And, of course, the Clintons walk 
amongst us free. Well, and, and I don't know how bad the, the stuff was that Clintons did. Um, you know, did it justify jail time? Certainly it was unethical. Uh, certainly he did lie and he was impeached by the House, but not by the Senate. And he did lie. But, you know, the lies they caught him on about, you know, not having sex with that woman. Oh I mean, my goodness. I mean, really, it's like, oh, <laughs> it's like, well, well, Donald's made that lie a whole bunch of times. By the way, Matt, do you still recall when all that went down, when Bill first got in trouble? Do you recall that? Oh, of course I do. Sure. I'm, I, was, I was I was just a little boy when that happened, Matt. But I clearly remember thinking in my head, what are all the adults talking about? <laughs> and now I know, like, way, way later on, I'm like, holy, you know. <laughs> so it, it's and hilarious. It, it just seems so silly. I mean, it's like, but they trapped him. I mean, they, they'd been in investigating Whitewater for years and they couldn't pin anything on him and Hillary for that. So then they went after his sex life and they got mm. him into a corner where, you know, is something that in prior years would have just been private. Like, uh, Kennedy had tons of affairs. You know, he had an affair with Marilyn Monroe. It's possible that, that um they off Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, a lot more. He had a lot more going on than that. Up, you know? Yeah, he had a lot more than that going on. And then, and then it appears that Johnson, um, you know, everything I can tell from like deathbed confessions, um, that Johnson appears to have, Johnson and the military appear to have off Kennedy. So, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of nasty stuff. The World Trade Center came down. Clearly, as an engineer, buildings don't collapse on themselves like that. Uh, you know, if, if it was going to fall over, the top of the trade center would have fallen over. Like, you chop a tree, it falls to the side, you know. You not put a big notch in it, it doesn't collapse on itself, it falls over to the side. So, um, you know, there's, there's been a lot of stuff that, as Americans, we're kept in the dark about. In general, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but, you know, um, I'm also not stupid. So <laughs> It's really hard to say that that exactly is a conspiracy, especially with the JFK assassination, since we don't exactly know all the facts, what happened well, then, and we don't exactly know all the facts, what happened behind 9-11. But, there's, but with ahead. JFK, there was like Hunt, you know, Hunt was dying of cancer in the last couple of years and spilled a lot of the beans on that. So That's true. He, he talked to Hunt's son and others, and, and over the years, there had been a lot of mumblings about stuff, and I think that... Oliver Stone's movie JFK was pretty spot on the money and then coupled with Hunt's kind of deathbed confessions, um, wasn't exactly right the day he was dying, but you know, in the la- when he knew he was dying, he, he did tell certain things. So I think that there's a lot and there was, there was a, a, a French hit, hitman, military sharpshooters, but the French hitman probably did the kill shot. And so, and then he got, he died in a mafia. He was like French mafia and he died in a shootout and, 10 years later, so he can't spill the beans because he got shot. So it's, so there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff when you look far enough in the JFK thing. It's, it's certainly harder to prove or point anything on the, on the 9-11 conspiracy theory about the towers coming down. But, uh, but, you know, it took me a long time to, as an engineer, uh, to accept that, uh, that there was an inside element to the towers coming down i didn't want to believe it and it took me about three years to come around on that one but uh yeah and i it was interesting that i spoke with i was on this really wonderful ladies uh beverly somebody who had a nationally syndicated radio show and this is a few years after 9-11 and and we were chatting on the show and somehow the topic came up because Mm -hmm. i'd been staying in a friend's house and i was looking 
he has he lives in this hundred year old apartment building across the street from the World Trade Center. And uh when the first tower came down, um everybody except for him and one other guy left the building he was in. And he stayed in there. And then when the second tower came down, like it was right across the street from his building and uh, kind of kitty corner. But but like like me looking across the cul-de-sac in my neighbor's house. I mean, it was that close. And it blew every every window out in his building. And uh, and and they had to – and a 2,000-pound air conditioning chiller flew through the wall like 10 feet to his left. Would have killed him if he was 10 feet left of him where he was. And so then he pointed out where Building 7 was. Building 7, right. Yeah. And so here he is in a 110-year-old, 15-story apartment building across from the World Trade Center. Blew every single building, every single window out in his building. Zero structural damage. He was four times closer to those towers than Building 7 was. Four times closer. Zero structural damage to his building. Zero. Wow. In Building 7 just magically implodes and collapses. It just went down out of the blue. times further away. Out of the blue. I mean, you know, without Building 7, it's it's pretty easy to persuade yourself that, like, well, you know, the building just did this and that. But but realistically, the building was designed to withstand, specifically designed to withstand the 747 flying into it. Absolutely. Uh, there was a, a hundred-year-old skyscraper. You know, the the, world, the uh, Empire State Building had a smallish aircraft flew into it back in the fifties. Boom! Did nothing. You know, twin towers designed specifically for uh, for you know a full-size 747 impact. Yeah, impact. Not right. go down. And and think of it this way: I they there was molten steel in the you know, when in, when they excavated, there's molten steel. Steel, jet fuel, is kerosene. It doesn't burn very hot unless it's turbocharged in a jet engine. And so how many kerosene heaters have you seen that have melted on your floor because they're burning kerosene? None. None, right. right. And I saw a film in like a 9-11 commer- you know, commemorative film, and they were interviewing a guy who says he was in – the, sto- the story right underneath where the jet flew into the building. So a jet flies in the building. He says he ducked as a piece of the wing came through his office. And, you know, he ducked so it wouldn't take his head off. So here he is basically at ground zero, one floor below impact, where pieces of the plane impacted. And like the wing went right through the windows in his office and right over his head. And we all saw that big explosion on TV and all the jet fuel burning and all that. If it was hot enough to take the building down three hours later, this guy was basically at ground zero, and he walked down, and he wasn't burned, and he walked out of that building. So if that guy can walk out of that building, how can that steel melt and cause it to collapse like that? I mean, really, you know, come on. It's like I'm not that stupid, and I'm not that gullible. So it took me a long time because I didn't want to believe it. You know, you just, you don't want to believe that someone in your country could have been so evil as to feel that they had a greater goal in mind that they could sacrifice, you know, a thousand people so that we could get into a, a war in Iraq so that we could secure oil for the way, you know, and, and, and keep America in its position as a world superpower. And so, you know, you just don't want to believe that someone in our country could be so nefarious as to do some plan something like that. But you know, um, yeah, we don't want to ever believe that. They are. 
Yeah, we don't want to ever believe that, but we know, given the track record, that that's kind of how they work. Well, a million civilians died in Iraq, and there were no weapons of mass destruction, and a lot of it turned out to be Saddam Hussein wanted to maintain face, so he was bragging about stuff, but he, you know, he he also didn't want to get taken out, so he was complying with with pressure on the United States to get rid of his, um, you know, weapons of mass destruction stuff. But 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 as a you know, so it was like maintaining face in the Arab world while also not being taken out by the U.S. So he was he was doing a balancing act and he lost. But um, you know, it's it's a I, there's a lot of dirty stuff in the world. Think yeah. of all those people big who died time, in time. Vietnam. And the Pentagon Papers was all about where they said this is not winnable. This is this is, this is that. Your country's been lying to you. I mean, that's when Daniel Ellsberg, who was working in the Pentagon, just said, "Look." I have to do my conscience. Uh, our government is lying to the American people about this war in, in tens of thousands, score, score, tens of thousands of Americans are dying and hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese are dying and our government is totally lying about this. And as a, as a human citizen of the world, I have to do my duty, even if I go to jail for the rest of my life to tell the world about it. And, and, you know, Nixon wanted to put him in jail for the rest of his life, but the courts, when they saw, how bad our government was lying to the people, um, they exonerated him, you know, for, for being a whistleblower, which, you know, nowadays they tend to bury whistleblowers like that forever. That's, but, uh, that's the goal, yeah. Yeah. By the way, do you believe the Saudi government is responsible for certain factions of 9-11? I, I'm not so sure about the government. I do believe... Here's here's my take on it. I could be wrong. This is because I don't claim to have any great insider information. But you do have an opinion, so that's what counts. But I have an opinion, no and, I, and I have an MIT degree, and I've looked at this, and I've looked at a lot of different things. And and I was at my friend's apartment building, looking out over the World Trade Center when they were excavating and putting in the foundations for the new towers. Yeah, that's and crazy. So, so I was there looking right. at that, and my friend pointed out where. And it turns out, like, and then I've been there since then, and I got to see the, the, the two fountains, like, right across the street from him, just kitty corner across the street for the closest fountain. Oh, that's got to be, fountain that's got to be the, weird. The footprint of the tower. And, uh, and then he pointed out where building seven was. So I had that perspective that most people don't have of seeing it with my own eyes of like, wow. That's true. You were right here and your building had every window blasted out and zero structural damage and this modern skyscraper implodes on itself. That's way tucked in that corner, way far over there. It's like, that doesn't just happen. You know, it, I'm it's so like, glad you... it's like totally impossible thing. And, and, you know, in seeing that, it was like any doubts I had in my mind about conspiracy were just gone then. It's yeah. like, okay, okay, I can't, I, I, I cannot look at this and, and acknowledge, I, 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 there is no, sh- any shred of doubt I had about the conspiracy was gone at that point in time. It was like, okay, I, I, it's just impossible that Building 7 could implode like those towers imploded, uh, for any reason other than a controlled demolition with pre-placed charges. I mean, it just, just couldn't happen any other way. I'm so glad you brought it up because I had no idea we were going to get into the Twin Towers and Building 7, but there is so much importance to 9-11 and Building 7. And one of the things I always mention here on the program, going back to changes and, and paradigm shifts in society, after 9-11, everything just changed. Completely. It changed a lot. Right. It changed a lot. I, um, 
Yeah, after 9-11, I quit my job as an engineer and moved to Hawaii and became a green builder for three years. So it, 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 you know, we kind of looked at that and reevaluated, like, what are we doing and what do we want to do with our lives and where do we want to be? And, you know, so it was, um, it was, uh, it was definitely caused a shift and a change and, uh, oh God. And yeah, so, and I'd written my book when technology fails had already been out first edition a couple of years then. So yeah, it was an interesting time. It caused me to kind of reevaluate what I was doing and what's important in my life and, and what did I want to accomplish and do in my life? I mean, how could it not? That was a very tremendous time in our nation's history. Yeah. How can you not so do back a bit to of... the question of Saudi Arabia oh, yeah, go ahead. in there. So my sense is my sense is that bin Laden was a CIA operative and then he went rogue. And my sense is that bin Laden himself was still rogue and independent, but that the CIA had plants in in the organization that bin Laden did. So I think that um, they basically built on and fed into the plan to fly the um, fly the jets into the World Trade Center as a statement. So they had tried blowing up the World Trade Center before, and they put some really big fertilizer bombs into the basement in the parking garage. Yeah, and back in the day, it caused some major damage, but it didn't. You know, obviously, it didn't take the towers down. Right. So this time they thought they're going to make a bigger statement. They're going to take the towers down. So I think that the CIA got. Or, or whoever it was in the inner inner workings of the Bush administration, uh, Bush Cheney. I think Cheney is much more behind it than Bush was. I think he was just the figurehead. That was a powerhouse the, I, team. Yeah, I think I think that it was it was Cheney and Rumsfeld and those guys who felt like you know that they needed to organize. America needed to have its Pearl Harbor to rally behind to enable them to do their global agenda. And that's what they referred it as uh, referred to it as a new Pearl Harbor. Right. So this was their new Pearl Harbor to in, in to be the enabler for their global agenda to to maintain the power of the American Empire around the world and, and global dominance by America. And they saw it as, you know, that that they were doing the right thing for America. And if they sacrificed some people, it would be a lot less than you know if if we didn't do this. I mean, it, I'm just putting words. I don't know the guys personally. I'm just you know imagining. That's things. okay. So I do believe that um, there was collusion with the Saudi government to allow certain things to happen. I do believe there was uh, – just as there was collusion with Pakistan to whack bin Laden, um, who was a hero in Pakistan, so it had to be done extremely carefully. And and I I do have a really interesting story to go along with that one, but let's let's focus on Saudi Arabia first, and then we'll go to Pakistan because that's a big concern of mine is Pakistan. Sure. So, um, okay, so I believe that it was very top secret, much like whacking Kennedy, that it wasn't uh, a widespread operation with lots of, of people in the government because otherwise they couldn't keep it secret. So it was very small teams, very secret. And, but, but there was certain collusion like, like Russia and Egypt and Israel was feeding America, feeding information to Americans saying, hey, something really big is going on. you got to, got to watch out. And yet on the day of 9-11, they played like this training tape uh, simulating someone flying into the World Trade Center and, you know, I, to, to make sure that they called guys off so there'd be no intercept jets going out to get these guys. And and they, I, I believe that they made very clear they, – they did everything in their power to make sure that those jets could happen. Now, the third jet – 
that went down, I think, was when some, you know, people heard over their phones what was going on and they took matters in their own hand and they prevented that jet from going to wherever it was going to go to. But, uh, but the other two jets were not interfered with and, uh, so all went, I think, according to plan. And then certainly, you know, when all the rest of the, nobody else in the world could fly, all of a sudden all these like wealthy Saudis were able to fly out of the country and go back to Saudi Arabia, you know, and so, you know, there was a big collusion thing, I think, with the Saudi government uh, to make sure that this plan, which I don't think was, I think it was an independent plan, but they had plants in there watching. That's my sense. I could be wrong. Uh, you know, I, I don't claim to have the insider information, but here's some insider information I do have. So, and the only reason I have it is because my book publicist became the publicist for a guy who wrote Tears in the Sand. And it's this really fascinating book. In fact, let me go grab it. Go you know, ahead. Hang on here just a second. I'll grab yeah, this go ahead. Something. Go ahead. And, of course, if anybody wants to call in, that number is 760-332-8724. One more time, 760-332-8724 if you have any questions and are compelled enough to call in. Go ahead. Give us a call. Okay. So this book is by Joseph Agris, M-D, A-G-R-I-S, M-D. And my publicist is so excited. He said, man, Matt, this is an amazing book. So this guy is a highfalutin um, cosmetics plastic surgeon down in Texas. And he flew around the, the world doing charity work. He'd do a month or two a year doing charity work. So he would go to Pakistan and other places in Lahore and other places and volunteer and do plastic surgeon uh, surgery on kids who were born with deformities like harlots and, you know, all, all kinds of bad deformities. And they call him the white angel. So he's working in Pakistan and bin Laden's driver shows up and says, you know, hey, my boss would like really like to meet you. And he doesn't tell him who the boss is at this point in time, but he's heard a lot about you, but he can't go out in public, but he'd really like to meet you. So this guy ends up having multiple luncheons and, and dinner engagements in bin Laden's compound, the same compound he got whacked in. And, uh, and he gets to know him. And and he thinks, well, you know, it's fascinating meeting this guy. He's like really intelligent and really smart and all this, but you know, he's also masterminded this 9/11 thing. So, so he says, well, I've got to do my duty and I've got to, you know, turn, I've, I've got to rat on Bin Laden. So, so he he goes to some people in like the FBI or CIA, and and they're like all excited, all excited, and then he goes further up the chain, further up the chain, and all of a sudden it's like, well, thank you very much, we really appreciate it. We've got the information, and and you've done your great service to your country, and that's all he hears about. It. And then it's like a year or two goes by, and then all of a sudden. The whole TV drama comes out about how, you know, we just now found out where bin Laden is and, you know, we did this, this operation we didn't want to say anything about until we were sure it was a success. And then it's right. like, it's like, wait a minute. I, just, I told him like a year and a half, two years ago, like where bin Laden is. I had pictures of the compound and everything and all that stuff. And, uh, and he's like, well, what gives? So here's the take on it was Pakistan is an un- uneasy alliance with the United States. They they have a government and they allowed us to fly missions in uh, in the both Gulf Wars out of Pakistan. They they have an uneasy 
you know, they have a lot of friction between Pakistan and India over certain Kashmirian states that they both claim, lay claim to. And they've fought border skirmishes over it. And India got the bomb and then Pakistan got the bomb. And, and Pakistan is on its way to becoming the number three nuclear power in the world. And, and, and Pakistan has a huge fundamentalist Islamic from, uh, factor in Pakistan that have infiltrated, uh, they're in all levels of government and military. And so it's in the United States' best interest to keep Pakistan somewhat moderate and, and not allow the, you know, the jihadist, uh, fundamentalist Islamic arm of Pakistan to take control. And a big fear is that, um, one of the, that there will be a fundamentalist plot in Pakistan that sets off an EMP attack on the United States that like destroys the United States as we know it. That, you know, one nuclear missile launched over the United States at, at like two, uh, 200 miles up and like there's, there's 90 Fukushima like meltdowns happen in the next 15 minutes across the country and all, you know, most if not all, all of the nuclear reactors go Fukushima meltdown style and, you know, 15 to 30 minutes after an EMP goes off. Oh my God. And, yes. and so, so there's great fear that, um, you know, that that might happen. And now, so then that's one factor. Then the next thing is that bin Laden is a superhero in Pakistan. By the way, by, um, people. By the way, Matt, uh, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt you here, but there is a caller. Let's bring them in really quickly. Oh, okay, sure, sure. Yeah, calling in from 614. What's going on, caller? Hey, this is Kaiser. How's it going? Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Did you have a question for Mr. Stein here? Well, yeah, I wanted to correct the – because, you know, I've lived a, a large portion of my life in the Near East. That's true. Um, yeah, you know this. It's right. a fact. Now, he's forgotten about on 910, two things happened. One was DFAS had how many billions of dollars come up missing they couldn't account for. That's Defense Finance Accounting Service. Oh, yeah. So if you, if you don't remember that, Rum, oh, I Rum remember that. Made a, made a conversation on it. Also on 910, you had the assassination of Amir Masood, and he was assassinated by Al Qaeda. Who were posing as Al Jazeera, uh, journalists because Masood was an attention whore. That's just what he was. Now, Masood, which, which one was Masood? Masood was the line of the Pangier. I know him. I've been to his, even, I've even been to his tomb afterwards. Oh, okay. So you Anyways, know that part of the world much better than I. I've never been in that part of the world ever. So, yeah. I've lived a quarter of my life and I'm 50 in the Near East since the first Gulf War. That's where I okay. learned to speak Arabic and a fake Kalamadavi. Anyways. Um, what I'll tell you, you're getting some things right. You're getting some things wrong. Uh, well, that's, in my that's, opinion, makes sense. That because makes sense. I know, I know in 2005, I was in Iraq and I was told that he assumed room temperature. We're talking about bin Laden in Tora Bora. And that would have been what year? You know, attacked I've heard Bora, that. 2002. I've heard that, but I have the pictures in Joseph Agris's book. They came out, and that was all done before he was supposedly whacked. So I'd heard that he was dead and that he had kidney yeah. failure and all of this. But It wasn't kidney failure. It wasn't yeah. kidney failure. He was killed in an explosion. Bush did not want to martyr him. Obama did it and said he did it for mere. And trust me, the CIA kept him alive after that. You remember the, where he's holding a mic? You couldn't see his mouth move, could you? That was all muff fake. You know, I you just understand. I, talking to the man who's actually been there and lived in Pakistan and did all these things. I've been to Pakistan I, it, too, buddy. Yeah, what I believe 
just from from all the information and the personal photographs he had of him with Bin Laden and meeting with him, yeah. I I basically changed my mind on those other stories about him already being dead and it being faked. And uh, well, but, I know, heard about hey, it from the guys on the ODA team, so. You know, you might want to you, you believe what book, you want. Tears in the sand. It's it's pretty cool because it's it's and and I've spoken with the man himself, the uh, yeah. the the guy who is you know Doctor Joseph Agris. I've spoken with him myself, and my so has and my uh, publicist spoken with him a lot and met him a lot because my publicist lives in that part of the world. So you I know, you met can, a few ISI I, agents, bro. So I mean, you're not. I understand where you're coming from, but I'm also telling you this sounds a lot like you were fed. Creations, muff fake. That's what we call maybe. it. Maybe, maybe you yeah. were. <laughs> that's no, the hard I wasn't part because I, I actually work. I actually work with those ODA guys. Yep. And uh, and I've watched them in their valor. So no, I know when somebody's BSing me, and I know when somebody's not. So I'm telling you, I have a jaundice eye to everything. But one thing I don't have a jaundice eye to is loyalty and honor among men. And that's my two cents, brother. Well. I appreciate the point of view, and and I certainly don't claim to have the insider track on everything by any means. That's for sure. So, uh, and so I I appreciate you telling me what your inside track has told you. No problem, brother. Like I said, I get a little animated over this because it really irritated me when Obama tried to take credit for something I know he didn't do. Well, let me give you the the, the take I have on that whole operation. Yeah, go ahead. I'm actually very curious yeah. on that. It was very yeah. um, very strange situation. Go ahead. So afterwards, there was a really interesting article by um, a very uh, I've forgotten his name. It wasn't Glenn Greenwald, but somebody along those lines. And he said, you know, he started getting information about like, hey, there's a lot more to this story than the public story, which you assume is probably true. And and so what it turned out was that um, we couldn't sneak into Pakistan, that we had sold him a Lockheed Martin Marietta. Uh, we'd sold Pakistan this really sophisticated air defense system and radar system. And so there was no sneaking in. It, it just couldn't happen. And that the fundam- that the government of Pakistan, because bin Laden was such a hero – if it came out that they'd been part of whacking him, then and they wanted to get rid of him too, but he was basically under house arrest in his compound, and they knew exactly where it was for years. So it had to be orchestrated very carefully. So basically, you know, they, they coordinated it, and they finally agreed on a plan with the United States so that they would shut off and go radar dead, shut off their systems and go radar dead and, and allow this all, all this whole thing to happen, which is basically just assassinating an old man in front of his wife and kids. And, um, you know, there was no taking him alive. They had no desire for him to spill all the dirt on 9-11 and all the dirt on CIA operations and all of that stuff. So there was no way that they, that they wanted bin Laden in front of a court anywhere. So and so the guys who were part of that trip, it's like, well, you could feel like, yeah, you were doing a service getting rid of this guy who, who caused all these deaths in America. But on the other hand, it was just a simple whack job of, of an old man in front of his wife and kids. So what's the glory in that? Um, but anyway, it had to be orchestrated very carefully and done in such a way that it wouldn't cause waves. And so Pakistan faked all of this, like irate, like we're, you know, this is such a horrible thing the United States did and came in and did this without our permission and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But it was all carefully coordinated between the two to, to do the whack job. So I could be wrong. Maybe Joseph Agris, 
who met packet, met, uh, claims he met and had pictures of meeting with bin Laden a couple years before he was killed. Um, maybe he was, maybe it was a fake bin Laden. Maybe the, the real one had died years earlier. It's conceivable. It's possible. Or maybe the death of bin Laden years earlier was fake. Uh, I don't know. You know, I wasn't there myself, so I can't swear by any of it. Right. It is yeah, very I, interesting. I see where you're coming from. I totally see where you're coming from, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, my, my two cents, they didn't want him to talk because you have to remember Al-Qaeda means the list. And that list was about Arabs going to fight the infidel Russians for sport. They went over there like they were going on a cruise, and it was all CIA-funded. That's why Amir right. Massoud gained popularity. I'm, I'm, I'm not giving you anything uh, classed at this point, but I am telling you, this stuff's open source. For people who really want to know what happened, it's not hard to find out, and a lot of the stuff has leaked over the years. But uh, like I said, I'll stand by what I stand by. You can stand by what you stand by. <laughs> well, and I appreciate and that. that. I'm, not, I'm not saying what you're saying couldn't be true. I'm just saying from from my source, uh, what the the parts about Joseph Agris, the 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 White Angel guy in there, and and then having dinner multiple times with Bin Laden and his family. Um, and telling the CIA about it and then going, you know, having people very excited and going up the ladder until finally he got high in the ladder and it was just thank you and very much. You know, you've done a great service to your country and boom, never heard a word again. So, um, so, you know, that's a story I've, I've got insider information on. So that's a story yeah. that sticks with me. Two, two things. If that's true, then you can't explain why extortion 17 happened. This is open source. I'm not saying anything out of school. The SIL team, along with a friend of mine, Dwayne Duangaro, he was a Navy dog handler who went down with his dog Rex uh, on this mission in Afghanistan that was sold out. They weren't even using the proper helicopters they normally would use. And this is a SIL team. And that happened after it. So you had nobody. And the whistleblower that said he was the sniper who killed him, that guy, notice he, 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 he got charged with some things, didn't he? Oh, wow, they're trying to shut him up? Oh, yeah, there's a reason for that. So, you know, here's the there's thing. There's a lot of dirt. I'm sure there's tons of dirt everybody, all over the place there. Everybody knows so much, but until you've met men of honor and worked side by side with them and actually lived and breathed with them, yeah. uh, I would just say temper, uh, temper comments like, I know this happened, because even I, I know them guys, and I trust them with my life, literally. Um but somebody could have been trying to draw me in, and any other guys could have been playing me. I doubt it, but that is in the realm of possibility. But what's more possible to me, because I know they synthetically kept Bin Laden alive on video and on tape during the war, and I know this for a fact. This is open source. And then the suspicious stuff is they dump him at sea, but he was given a halal burial. No, no, it didn't happen. And yeah. that's, that's well, my two cents. I'm going to hang details, up because yeah. I really want to listen yeah. to the show. Oh, well, I like everything you've said. But hold, that hold, one on, thing hold on, I hold on, hold on. comment on. D- don't hang up just yet. I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, going back to Robert O'Neill, do you feel that he is lying about his claims? Here's what I'll say. Uh, this information comes out, and, and you know me well enough to know what I'm about to say, comes out for a reason, and it's not saying that the gentleman could be lying. He could be duped. You know, different things can That's happen, true. man. I mean, right, right. the world is full of muff fake. Um, there's, there's a reason why people disappear sometimes. 
and yet they never disappeared completely. And uh, anyway, so that's my two cents on it, brother. I probably said too much now, but understood. Um, you know, but it's a great show, Matthew. I love I love the show, but that one thing kind of triggered me, bro. So I had to uh, <laughs> well, that's do okay. ring a ding. That's okay. You well, know, that's I, the point of a talk like, show to yeah. get that yeah. sort of uh, response, either positive or negative. So the job was done tonight. <laughs> All right, brother. God bless. Thank you, you for the call, saying. Matt. Thank you Thank so you. much. I called okay. him Matt on accident there. I'm sorry about I that. I know. Yeah, well, I, I thought, is that another Matt? <laughs> I know. I'm like, wait a minute. That, that's not his name. But I was also saying good job on both of you guys. No one went too wild there. Agree to disagree on certain things. That's okay. Well, I, I don't claim to know. You know, he he's, he seems more sure of what he knows than, than I am. But uh, it's Kaiser. certainly quite believable, the information I got from and the way it came through my publicist and conversations directly with Joseph Agris. And it's a huge right. book. And it was interesting because my publicist thought, like, wow, you know, this is such a great book. We're going to get him on all these shows. And nobody wanted to hear him. And it was like, why? Why is this renowned plastic surgeon who's been like the white angel who's gone around the world and done this stuff? Why does nobody want to hear his story? And is is this part of the public pressure to just like the pressure for all the 9-11 truthers to, you know, to keep to, to keep the the official version alive and squelch all of the unofficial versions? And 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 so was I mean, this is a massive book from this Joseph Agris. It's huge, and and only part of it is on the Bin Laden thing, and you know most of it is not, and and yet the book went nowhere. He couldn't get on shows. He couldn't do anything. It just went nowhere. And so was it squashed because there was information in there that the the powers that be did not want out in the world. That's my guess. Very interesting. And of course, we are kind of almost out of time here on the program. And I didn't really get to ask you a little bit about glyphosate. That's one thing I know that you wanted to get into a little bit here. Well, it's a huge problem. Now, uh, for your listeners, glyphosate is the common herbicide uh, weed killer known as Roundup that Monsanto makes. And uh, what people don't realize is how insidious this is that is destroying the health of America, just completely wiping out the health of the American people. And it's it's like a, it's an insidious poison. So let me talk about how it works. So um, I, I'm a patent expert. Uh, I've got a dozen patents to my name. But in the last 15 years, 10 years, I've been doing a lot of expert witness cases where I, I'm a mechanical engineer. And I testify in patent cases um, and in that are related to stuff I've designed. So I understand patents quite well. So the first patent for glyphosate was in the 1960s by Stouffer Chemical Company. And what they found, it's a zinc-based compound, pretty simple chemical. Um, it's not a complex chemistry. And they found that it would go into boiler pipes and it would strip out um, these min- metals and minerals that were – plated and clogging up boiler pipes. So they, they pumped this glyphosate in, and it was a, a boiler descaler. It would strip the metals and minerals that were coating the inside of the pipes and clean the pipes out. So a few years later, someone at Monsanto figured out that you could, that that strain stripping action, if you sprayed it on weeds and plants, that would kill plants, green plants. It's a defoliant. It doesn't just kill weeds. It kills all the plants. And it does that by stripping out copper and manganese that the plants need 
to make a critical plant enzyme part of photosynthesis. So basically the plant, when you spray this stuff on plants, it strips out a, a, a critical metal and mineral, uh, copper and manganese, that the uh, plants need, and then the plants shrivel and die. And so the way patents work is that you can patent the same chemical compound multiple times if you come up with a totally different and unpredicted use for the chemical. So, for example, if you had aspirin and then you found that, you know, and you, you pat, Bayer patented aspirin as a painkiller like 100 years ago or something, and it made Bayer a giant company, and then uh, who now owns Monsanto by weird coincidence. Um, and so if you then found that, say, you put aspirin in feed for pigs and it made the pigs grow bigger, then you could patent it as an application for a pig growth chemical for example so anyway so then monsanto figures okay well you spray the you spray the fields with weed killer before you plant the crops and it kills the weeds and they shrivel and then you plant your corn or your wheat or whatever and they grow up but then any weed seeds that sprout after you spray the fields they're going to grow up um also along with your corn and you can't spray the the weed killer on them again or you'll kill your corn too your, your crop you're planting so they figured out then that, well, wow, if we if we splice in some genes, then we can get around the need for using copper and manganese, and the plant will grow healthy in spite of um, killing all the weeds. So this is like, great, now we can spray the weeds, spray the field like a dozen times as much as we want with glyphosate while the plant's growing. So now you have GMO corn, you have GMO soybeans, uh, you have GMO potatoes, you know, you have a whole bunch of GMO plants. 19 out of 20 pounds of GMO plants are specific. Specifically to be uh, Roundup ready. In other words, you can spray as much Roundup on them as you want. And it's not going to kill plants. Okay. So now you're getting more in there. So it, it turned. And then the last thing they figured out that's really insidious is is they patented. Monsanto got another patent, a third patent. They they had the second and third patents now on glyphosate. The first one went to Stouffer Chemical. The last patent is as a broadband antibiotic. So it turns out that that same stripping action that chelates and, and bonds to and strips out these critical metals and minerals that are needed for plants to grow also causes bacteria to, to die. So in, in one part per million, it's a very effective antibiotic against a wide range of organisms. Now, it turns out that two organisms that are really a problem these days, it never used to be a problem, are resistant to glyphosate. So it's called C. difficile and salmonella. So notice you see all the salmonella stuff coming up now. Like, oh, yes. You know, 20, 20 years ago, you never saw salmonella. Well, C. difficile is like even worse than salmonella, but it's less it's less in the news, but it, it can kill you. And in fact, uh, my girlfriend almost died from it. She's had it three times. Holy and, shit, uh, really? Yeah, the first time she picked it up in Guatemala back in the 80s and nearly killed her. And and a, a client of mine picked it up a couple of years ago and nearly killed him. So so here's what's happening now. If you take Cheerios, Cheerios, they advertise whole wheat, right? I mean right. whole oats. Yes. They say, hey, it's whole grains. It's non-GMO. It's good for you, right? Good for you. Well, independent lab tests on Cheerios show 3.3 parts per billion per, per million of glyphosate in it. That's triple what it was patented as a broadband antibiotic as. So when you're eating Cheerios, and it's not just Cheerios, it's all non-organic grains in grown in America, in Canada, um, are suspect. 
If it's not organic, chances are good it's ripened with glyphosate. So the last thing they figured out with glyphosate is, okay, how can we sell more glyphosate? Monsanto, you know, the, the Monsanto company, how can we sell more? Well, they figured out, especially in like northern plains where there's a lot more moisture, in the southern plains, there's not as much moisture, there's more irrigation, it's not as much of a problem like Kansas, not as much of a problem. But you get up to Nebraska, you get up to Iowa, you get up to Canada, Saskatchewan, all those areas. All these grains are fairly moist when they harvest them, and then they have a problem when they harvest moist grain and put it in the silos. If they're not aerating it and really careful and drying it, you know, before it's stored, then then it'll mold and you lose your whole crop. Or you might have a, a silo fire and burn the silo down from spontaneous combustion. So Monsanto figured out that if you spray glyphosate a week before harvest in these northern wetter climate zones, then the grains will shrivel on the stock and die, and they'll desiccate. They'll dry in the wind. Then when you harvest it, no problem. Grain's already pre-dried. It's all set. It's good to go. Of course, you and I, eating that grain, we're getting our extra dose of glyphosate. Now, what does that glyphosate do in our body? Well, it doesn't kill us. It just makes us sick. Makes us very sick. Makes us very sick. So there's a hundred, a two hundred million dollar judgment that just got knocked down to like seventy five million because it was a groundskeeper guy in like Southern California who's spraying weed killer and he got you know for for his groundskeeping for the school system and then he got like horrible cancer. I think he's dead now, but um, they said hey you know he and it turns out that the glyphosate does multiple things. It causes non Hodgkin's lymphoma, causes kidney disease, causes liver disease, kidney failure, liver failure. It causes Parkinson's disease, and it uh, the same stripping action that takes those critical metals and minerals out of the plants that causes them to shrivel and die, and it causes the bacteria to die, but not Salmonella C. difficile. They go crazy because the other bacteria are dying. The ones that keep them in check, the good bacteria in your in your colon die, and then the bad bacteria go crazy. So. Those same stripping action takes the metals and minerals your body needs to be healthy and balanced and strips them out of your body, too. It just doesn't kill you. It just makes you sick and unhealthy. It makes you prone to chronic diseases. The other thing it does is that in all of our bodies, there is numerically, there's, a, there's about three to five pounds of foreign organisms in our body that live synergistically within us. This bacteria and fungus that lives in our body that helps us digest food. So we cannot digest food properly without this synergistic bacteria in our colon. So the glyphosate goes in and kills off the good bacteria unless the bad bacteria go crazy. So it and then so people get obese because they eat and their body tells you, I'm starving. I'm not getting the nutrients I need because all the glyphosate is stripping out some critical nutrients. So they're no longer bioavailable to my body. So feed me, feed me, feed me, keep feeding me because I'm, no matter how much I eat, I'm not getting the nutrients I need. So I need to keep eating more. So you get obese, but you're unhealthy and your body says, I'm starving and feed me more, but you got way too many calories, but you're missing critical nutrients. They weaponize the food. They have. And I don't think it was done. As a big conspiracy, I think it was done for greed. I think think it was done – I mean people say it's part of controlling populations, part of doing this and that. But I think it's really just greed and that the FDA, when they were first trying trying to run um, Roundup through the FDA and the EPA back in the 80s, they showed all this data – and, you know, that, that Monsanto gave to them. But then the EPA said, well, I'm seeing this test studies that indicates it's carcinogenic. 
And Monsanto goes, no, 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 no. And they flooded them with data showing it wasn't carcinogenic. Well, they they kind of cooked the books, but also it turns out that glyphosate alone is not a very effective weed killer. So they add these things called adjuvants, which is additives to the glyphosate. And it's 10 times more effective as a weed killer and 100 times more toxic when you have the adjuvants in there. But Monsanto claimed to the EPA and the FDA that the adjuvants were inert uh, additives that didn't change it chemically. So all of their safety testing was done on pure glyphosate and none of it done on the glyphosate with the adjuvants in it. And so they flooded them with data based on the pure glyphosate and that, that they basically were so loud and so much data that they overshadowed the data that the EPA and FDA were seeing from other countries and other studies and independent studies indicating it was a probable carcinogen. Well, now the World Health Organization has, has denoted that it is a probable carcinogen, and they put it on this. It's one level down from the worst. They put it on the same level as the as the uh, insecticide malathion. So it's like, wow, <laughs> we can we can have glyphosate in our food. And they know no end. And by the way, pets are also prone to this as well. They eat totally. and touch this as well. So for totally. those out there who love their pets. They're at risk too. Yeah, and they're at risk if they're if you're spraying glyphosate on your plants and Roundup on your plants. But they're also at risk because they're eating the food that's grown on GMO crops and that's grown with with glyphosate. So if it's GMO, it's filled with glyphosate. And if it's not GMO and it's not organic and it's a grain, it's probably you can't guarantee, but it's most likely ripened with glyphosate, sprayed on it in the, la- in the week before harvest, uh, so that it'll ripen and desiccate. Now, so basically, uh, when you go out and you have that nice sandwich at uh, Subway or wherever, oh boy, uh, yes. you're getting your daily glyphosate. <laughs> terrible. It really is terrible. And by the way, glyphosate likely to contribute to the development of cancer. Would you agree with that? Yes, Fully. multiple. It's been strongly linked to multiple cancers. And uh, and if any of your listeners really want to, you can go to my website, wentechfails.com, and contact, you know, just use the contact button and say you'd like info on glyphosate. And I have put together a template that I'll send out to you for just just as a service. And it'll have a link to a really wonderful video, and they'll have several uh, scientific papers and the video is by Anthony Vrain, who is a Ph.D. microbiologist and organic chemist, formerly with the Canadian branch of what would be the equal to the FDA. And now that he's retired, he can speak his mind. And he was a former pro-GMO scientist, and now he's totally against it. And he gives an excellent, excellent um presentation on glyphosate and i've given you uh, a synopsis of some of the information he gives you in in my talk right now and so uh and and there's good stuff by stephanie seneff an mit uh engineer scientist who's shown a direct correlation between the rise in chronic in a in a number of chronic diseases correlate by a 98% accuracy to the increase in glyphosate in in uh, the food system and in our environment and so uh so I'll, I'll be happy to send that out to anybody who, who goes to my website, wentechfails.com, and, and requests it. Amazing. And, of course, are children more sensitive to glyphosate? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, so they're very sensitive to it. So, and they're being fed the glyphosate, and and it it contributes to autism, and it contributes to obesity in children. Think of how there was in when I grew up, we had one fat kid in 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 my grade school class of thirty one. kids. It was one, <laughs> only one. one fat kid. And now there are like now there's like ten of them. There's there would be ten in the class instead of one out of thirty. There'd be ten out of thirty. And, Isn't uh, that amazing though, Matt? Yeah. That Society today, we see so many obese adults and children alike. It's like the kid has the same shape of their parent. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's, it's shocking. And the one kid who was that fat, he grew up, his parents ran this club in Burlington, Vermont. And I went to stay with him and they, and they had, um, a, a kitchen and pastry chef. And he was eating pastries and sugar like all day long. And the parents were criminal letting him do that. And, and he died in his thirties. And, uh, and he was a wonderful kid. I mean, he was Danny Myers and, and I loved him. He was a good friend and, and he died very, very young. Youngest death of anyone other than an accident of anyone in my entire class. But now instead of one kid like that out of 30, now there's 10 out of 30. And, and, uh, it's just, it's just te- horrifying. It really and is. We are poisoning our children and poisoning, poisoning America with this stuff. It's terrible, really, especially with the foods that you can go and get really cheap at, say, like a Walmart or something, something you could warm up. All these kind of foods. They all make me terribly sick. I'm not sure if you're the same way, Matt, if you've ever tried to eat I something don't, that you could. I don't get that. You don't I, get that. I eat almost strictly organic. I go out to dinner now and then. Smart and, guy. And uh, I have a friend who was saying, why do I feel so much better when I – when I, he travels for business to Europe. And he says, why do I feel so much better? And I feel so bad when I come back home to America. It's because it's because – their diet is clean. They have banned glyphosate yeah, in a lot of those places in the EU. Different their diet is so much cleaner than ours. Yeah, different regulations in their foods as well. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And, of course, I, I did want to ask you a little bit about that book that you're currently writing right now. Can you tell us any, anything more about that? Sure. It's called Pushing a Life Lived on the Edge. That's the tentative title. And it's a multi-level biography. And it, it, like I said, it opens when I'm five years old and I'm, or six years old and I'm drowning. And the, that's the first time the voice of spirit spoke in my head. Great start. So, so in my life, I've, um, I've should have been killed or crippled something like 13 times. And sometimes it's just stroke of luck, but other times it was clear divine intervention that like the, the touch of an angel that saved my life. I mean, one time, if you saw it in a James Bond movie, you'd shake your head and say, you know, I can believe a lot of things, but <laughs> that's like, I did, nah, that's, that's, that's like just too out there. That just couldn't happen. You know, just like, no way, no way that just couldn't happen. And, and so there's those kinds of stories. And then I have the spiritual awakening, a spiritual journey, um, lots of magic in my life, lots of prearranged meetings with remarkable men and women. Um, I had my wife had been a world class hypnotherapist. I was whipped down in my body for a um, out of body experience on a long distance run during my uh, a year after nine months after I was out of MIT. I was a junior engineer at Hewlett Packard in Palo Alto and. 
And I had an out-of-body experience in a 20-minute gap in my memory when um, my body kept running, but I was in the field meeting with Jesus. And, you know, for for two decades after that, I was totally – it's like Jewish kid from Burlington, Vermont, sees Jesus on his lunch hour. How do you explain that to anybody? You know, why me? Why me? Decades later, when my wife was trained as a hypnotherapist and regressed me, and I saw a past life in – the Holy Land at the time of the crucifixion, and finally it was like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, we were all Jews at the time around Jesus. And even at, long after his death, we all consider ourselves Jews. None of us consider ourselves Christian, even though the country was split in two. So there's that story like labeled in there, and there's, there's, there's the vision of the book on when technology fails. There's, uh, you know, a lot of crazy things we did in our life. There's my wife's struggle with cancer and death from cancer. Answer. Um, there's, you know, there's it, on the deepest level, the book is a roadmap for learning to listen to the inner guidance system that I believe each and every one of us has, where there are non-physical beings that are available to help each and every human being in this world on their path. And as the world gets more and more crazy and things start really falling apart and working just horribly. In our world, and it's like you think it's bad now. It's like you know, tune in in 15 years or 10 years from now and see I what know. it's like. This would be like the good old days. That's true. And so, so when that's happening, developing this inner guidance system is going to be critical because with your rational brain mind, you can only make decisions based on the information at your fingertips. And when the internet is gone and things are going crazy and the wrong turn will kill you and your family. Um, it, it's important to make the right decisions. And with this inner guidance system from the higher powers, you can simply know what you must do instead of figuring out with the brain mind. And so on the deepest level, this book will be a roadmap that will encourage people to develop this inner guidance system and will give them a roadmap for finding the way to do this. And, and I, I envision after the book that at some point I'll be – teaching workshops on that to people. Um, but, you know, it is interesting when my wife was dying, I, I had a miraculous healings work through me a couple of times in my life. One in particular uh, in uh, freshman year in college, uh, a friend who'd been crippled all the way from the seventh grade on um, regained full use of her legs. And it totally freaked me out at the time when it, when, you know, this healing worked through me. So when my wife was dying of cancer, I was praying and meditating and I was, hoping and praying that a similar kind of miracle, miraculous healing would work through me. And as I'm meditating and praying in like 3 or 4 in the morning, and this purple and green light comes around me, it's kind of like sparklers. It was kind of really trippy. And and they, meaning the guys and masters, the same source that gave me the book When Technology Fails, they, right. you know, I thought like, oh, wow, the energy's flowing and my wife's going to be healed and everything's going to be fine again. And, it, well, it didn't work that way. She died anyways. But uh but they laid out the next four books for me and the purpose and point of each one. And this one I'm working on is first in the in the series of four. In each of these four is different from each other, but the last of the four ties into when technology fails. And they claim, and time will tell if it's all a bunch of bull or not. Right. You know, is it bull crap or is it real? 
they claim that the next three books are to turn me into an international bestseller. And, and then the last four book, which, book number four, which is about taking our power back and changing, you know, radically changing the way the world works before the planet's totally toast, that the whole point of the next three is to, to make it, is to, uh, to, uh, to get me the point where when book four happens that uh, there will be millions and millions of people who will listen and, and make that change happen before before it's his, before human beings are history. I certainly hope so. And, of course, the book is When Technology Fails and, of course, When Disaster Strikes. That, of course, is the comprehensive guide for emergency planning and crisis survival. An amazing book. I advise anyone out there listening to the sound of my voice to definitely pick up Matt's books. They're incredible, and just you, you did such a thorough job on both of these books. They're both very well laid out, and the information is just incredible, really. It's a very vital read, in my opinion. Well, well I did my best. You know, I, I received this vision for the When Technology Fails, and I did my best to... Um, turn that vision into reality, and uh, and and I relied. If you look at the credits, I, I relied on scores of experts to review each chapter. And even though several of the chapters I'm a genuine in- expert on, I still don't know everything about everything. So I I relied on, you know, dozens and uh, scores of books and scores of personal of real genuine experts to review my stuff to make sure each chapter was uh, correct and and to the best of my ability. Amazing. Now, before I let you go, is there anything you'd like to plug? The floor is yours. Well, one is if you go to the website whentechfails.com, there's a lot of really tremendous free information uh, going to like building the ultimate survival kit. And I don't make any money off of any of that other than if you buy want to buy a signed book, you know, I make a modest amount off that. But uh, nothing else on the website. I, I, it's not like I'm selling anything directly and making money. It's just a service. Um, but I'd also like to leave you with my motto. Go ahead. And, yeah. uh, my motto is I ask everyone to do your best to change the world and to do your best to be ready for the changes in the world. And so uh, God bless and good night and good luck with with your journey and, and – uh, do your best. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mr. Stein. And we will definitely do a part two of this and we'll go into other facets. I thought this was an incredible conversation filled with information and a lot of things I didn't even know too much about. Made me think about a lot of, uh, a lot of things here tonight. All right. Well, thank you so much for having me on. No problem. Good night and stay safe. Good night. All right, bye-bye. And there he goes, Matthew Stein, ladies and gentlemen, when technology fails. Incredible. Now, when I return, your phone calls are wanted. For those that are in the YouTube chat, bear with me. And those listening on the live stream, enjoy the music. Stay tuned. Planet Earth about to be recycled. Your only chance to survive with us. Now, you say you keep saying us. Who do you think you are? Well, I, in all honesty, must acknowledge my father. And welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Here we are again on a night like this. So glad to see all of you still out there in the chat room. I could see you now. 
Amazing. And of course, Max is on hold. Let's bring him in. Max, are you alive? Oh, yes. Absolutely, man. Still kicking around. Still kicking. Amazing. I'm glad you could be here tonight. Man, it is a pleasure. By the way, that conversation you had with Matthew was just fantastic. Probably one of my uh, favorite recent uh, conversations there. It was really, really in-depth for did, a lot of topics. Did you hear all of that? I'm so glad you did. And, of course, I'm here to take all of you to the promised land. And for those that were listening during the break, I apologize. I, I took so long. I was listening to the tunes, and I get lost in the music all the time. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Man, but great stuff. That was just a great discussion about the planet. And obviously, any talk about technology failing uh, is going to tune me in. I'm a techie myself. So so you know I what's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was really on point. Um, very, very on point with so much that he, uh, you know, was mentioning and uh, so many great topics there. I was, uh, I was getting a workout in and uh, found myself glued to uh, every word. I'm so glad that you did catch some of that. It was a pretty fascinating interview there, I thought. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. But um, it was good to hear some logical conversations about some of the stuff that's been going on, particularly with politics and science. And, um, you know, it's it's sometimes you get uh, into this echo chamber of bullshit. And he uh, really brought a perspective that I find uh, to be uh, a little bit refreshing. He's a really uh, smart guy. Yes, absolutely. He has oh, so many yes. stats and statistics, man. He was prepared. <laughs> uh, I'll give him that. He came in here pretty animated. I thought he was going to be kind of low energy type, but no, he blew me away. He came in here and he was very hot. Oh yeah. And he did his but, thing. And Michael, man, but how about that, that discussion about his, uh, drowning at, you know, age six years old? And that tripped and, me out for sure. Yeah, man. I can only imagine. That's the worst way to go, I'm telling you, if you drown. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's interesting that you mentioned drowning in the ocean. That's definitely a fear or phobia of mine, too. So I was like, shit, yeah, that, I wouldn't want to. There's no way, Max, I'm going to go on any sort of cruise. Yeah, yeah. Fuck all yeah. that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's imagine a... my ass out there. No business, <laughs> no business whatsoever doing out there in the middle of the ocean. Uh, there, there's no would... place for me to be out there. Well, you know, it, it is a good place to watch the stars, though. I could, I, you know, I don't know. You might be able to be convinced. <laughs> That's true. It would be actually very, I guess you could say, beautiful out there yeah. in the complete darkness, just the stars above. But then again, you think about it and you say to yourself, well, what if this thing goes under? Yeah. You have to swim with the fishes. Oh, yeah. And, it's, and uh, the sharks. Oh, yeah. And it's violent. The ocean is violent. Ooh, I know. That's just awful to be lost at sea. Can you imagine that? Man, that's definitely up there with the uh, worst ways to, to leave this planet, I'd say. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Um, but what's interesting about that is that there is a peace that comes with the ocean, too, as well. And I find because we're such an aquatic species that there's this natural uh, peace that, that we gravitate towards whenever we are close to the ocean. So, and I think just, about that and I agree with you, but then I go yeah. back to the movie Castaway. Oh, yeah. And my mind <laughs> shifts. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, I love yeah. that. I love that movie, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. It was a fascinating uh, take. Um, yeah. It's a good flick. No it really is. It really is. And of course, I did want to get some of your thoughts and opinions before I wrap it up here tonight on the second 
half of the program. And of course, Max Cole, ladies and gentlemen, draws assignment here tonight. We will be riffing amongst each other. And of course, your phone calls are welcome. That number is 760-332-8724. One more time. 760-332-8724. This is an open platform for all walks of life. For everyone and their mamas. Very true. Yeah. Right, Max? Oh, yeah. By the way, shout out to you. I mean, this is a great program. Uh, just seeing what's happening with the YouTube channel and everything is, has been uh, something uh, memorable. It's uh, really nice listening to this, not only in the car, but, you know, with headphones on and, and just live, you know, just from the old speaker on the phone. It, you sound great. And uh, you're one of call. you're one of the only ones who listens. Well, I, sh- I, I can't say that for sure, but. One of the only people that I do know that listens to the program while they drive around. Oh, man. It, it takes me back years, man, to, to that classic broadcast radio at night. And, man, is it just, uh, it's a, like I said, I think you've got a, a very cinematic voice. And not only that, it's the structure of the program. There's a calmness about it that's really uh, it's therapeutic, I'd say. Well, Max, it's going to get a little bit chaotic, so your opinion might change in a uh, matter of moments here. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. I did want to, oh yes, I did want to start things off with one story that I found extremely, uh, extremely interesting. Now everyone knows the comedian Kevin Hart. Mm, yeah. He has become a no- notorious comedian and beloved by most yeah. of America. And of course, you know this, Max. He was scheduled to host the Grammy Awards, correct? The Oscars. Or the Oscars, rather. Yeah. Why did I say Grammys for? Uh, probably had that on the mind. They, they just released all the uh, Grammy noms. Oh, that's what it was. Yes. Yes. Excuse me. I had that on my mind. And as everyone out there knows, I'm not really a, a big fan of celebrities or any of that jazz. But Kevin Hart, I knew about him way before Kevin Hart was Kevin Hart. Yep. I heard yeah. him coming up through the years. And of course, how can anyone forget the time when he was on the radio with the great... And late Patrice O'Neill. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So I knew that Kevin Hart for a long time and that guy's been getting all sorts of heat. Of course he got in trouble. Him and his wife, I believe, got in trouble not so long ago on social media for having a cowboys and Indians themed birthday party for the sun. <laughs> isn't that, isn't that amazing, Max? <laughs> yeah. I don't understand uh... why. They would get you into so much trouble for that. I don't understand why we as a nation have gotten so soft. Oh, I'm glad you said that. I mean, like literally cotton soft. I mean, some of this stuff, man, is just outrageous to say the least. God, it's annoying um, to hear. You know, people have bullseyes on their back. People are looking for stories, looking for press, looking to take down the next person, um, you know, looking for faults. and. uh it's becoming quite interesting to watch. Who really Is doesn't it? love cowboys or Indians, though? Good question. I I don't get it. One of I, my I, favorite I, movies, Max, is a western. Ah, uh-uh. you have to uh, you have to talk about. It. Oh, of course I will. I will definitely do that. But I just don't understand why everything is considered racist nowadays. It seems like everyone out there today they are purposely trying to get offended. Yeah, yeah, racist, sexist homophobic it's it's a trend that's uh starting to become another in one of these echo chambers you know somebody says something 10 years ago about being gay or black well that's where we're going into yes oh man 
Oh, yes. And, of course, he is uh, Kevin Hart. He's in trouble for tweets that he sent out back in, what, like 2009? Yep. 2010 or, or something along those lines. And I guess they were deemed anti-homophobic. He literally said nothing. I mean, that – I I don't get it. And, again – yeah. Oh, actually, it was from 2011. One of the tweets read, Yo, if my son comes home and tries to play with my daughter's dollhouse, I'm going to break it over his head and say in my voice, stop, that's gay. I have no problem with that. Were you offended by that? Did no, your, absolutely not. Did your life turn upside down? Absolutely not. I I understand what he felt about that. And, you know, he wouldn't be the first or the last person to say that or saying it right. Somebody's saying that right now. So, yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I don't understand why they were trying to give him so much heat for that. Me either, man. Me either. It's I really think... strange. And people forget that he is a comedian. Oh, yeah. He said much worse. If anybody's listened to any of his comedy for the past 10 years. Oh, yeah. I mean... <laughs> That's nothing. That's pretty light. Oh, yeah. So I don't, yeah. I don't understand it. And, of course, they wanted him to apologize or else he wasn't going to host the Grammy Awards. And, of awesome. course, he didn't apologize. And I want to congratulate him, in other words, for not backing down, for staying true to himself and to comedy and other comedians around the world. Yeah, I, I completely co-sign that. I think people got to own their words. And, you know, these apologies that are just going on, everybody's looking for an apology for something. It's... You have to apologize for something. And by the way, Max, I'm sorry to uh, interrupt you there but there is a, there is a caller from the 614 area code caller mm. you are live on the air what's going on hey brother it's kaiser again i had to come in because you guys are hitting my buttons i'm loving it everybody's an is everybody's phobic this whole sjw society we've allowed to be built and i say we including myself um although my son's not you know my son's in the marine corps and whatnot right but um He's following in daddy's footsteps, right? But but the thing is, is we didn't push back. And I mean this. We did not push back on what they were doing to our kids. We didn't get involved in their schooling. Uh, colleges, when I went through college, bro, I can never forget how uh, rampant the beginnings of this was. You know, the retarded stuff. And everybody who says cultural Marxism, i.e. Um, <clears throat> political correctness, started with Clinton. They forget Bush's thousand points of light speech, where he mm -hmm. said a new world order, a kinder, more gentler, more politically correct America society. And it was Bush Sr. who did this. They didn't eulogize that, did they? No, they didn't, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of funny, isn't it? Very funny. You it's know, just unusual that they go after those they claim they love so much because so many people on the, I guess you could say the liberal left, even though I know that term bothers a lot of people out there, but. They really did love Kevin Hart and they put, they put him over so much and they gave him so many different opportunities. And now mm -hmm. it's like, now he's become, uh, I guess they, they vilified him so much now. Now he's the bad guy. Yep. Oh, I agree. I mean, I think Max would agree too. I, I really enjoy, well, you know this. I enjoy your show. I enjoy, I didn't want to screw it up. I just wanted to give you a hearty. Don't, that's okay. Felt, um, uh, thought on my opinion. That's you know, right. I am the foremost expert on my opinion. Nobody else is. So, um, you know, th it, it's been an epic show tonight. I saw some, you know, it, I like good, the whole show. It's been a good time, man. It, a lot of great back and forth banter 
has gone down and the there there hasn't been any sort of discord here in the narrative of this program everything's been open and everyone can agree to disagree right it's all fair and game and right. especially for you 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 were triggered there a couple times and that's the whole point of this program yep to cause right. that sort of effect but, but i was honest about it i told him you know i'm triggered <laughs> that's right you but did but this is why you admitted you know? yes <laughs> Uh, but you know, I'm, good, I'm right? based right. as hell. You know, I'm based as hell and you know, I know what the hell I'm doing and what I'm talking about. And I think other people do too. And I think he did um, everything I love. I lost my dog to tainted dog food from what he was talking about with those, with those pesticides. And, uh, you know, from a cancer that dogs get that actually eats into their, um, their circulatory system. And all of a sudden he was bleeding out. For they said about a week, we just thought he was gaining weight for whatever reason. I was taking him to the vet, and uh, he was like 16. And Spot looks up at me like I ain't I ain't walking, Daddy. I'm I'm done. And the vet's right down the road, a free block. And uh, we'd scheduled it a week before because that's what we had to wait on. And all of a sudden, uh, I pick him up when he looked at me like that, and I <clears throat> started to walk with him. And all of a sudden, his head started leaning on me. And I started running with him. I got him in there, and he passed away. They tried to a five thousand dollar bill, but they tried to uh, save him, but he was just bleeding out of everywhere. Wow! So these people that think this poisoning with Monsanto and stuff some joke, you know, they're targeting our kids and our animals. And you know, look at the Georgia Guidestones. I think it's being done for a reason. Yeah, it's no joke. So yeah, not at all. Anyways, I didn't. I didn't want to throw the this party into a downer that's but, okay uh, i'll get you involved right now since we were talking about these sort of uh tweets from the comedian kevin hart about his right. son and him you know if he comes home and finds his son playing with his daughter's uh, dollhouse he was going to break it over his head mm-hmm. um how do you feel about Hell yeah yeah would you do the same as a father all right well you can my be son at 18 just like i was at 17 my son at 18 thought he knew everything. Right. And I did too. Like most okay? kids do, yeah. Yeah. And at that point, I kicked him out of the house. I said, you can come back whenever you're able to be respectful again. And I said, this is what's going to happen. He said, my friends will take care of me. We're all going to da-da-da-da-da. And I said, you're going to find out that your friends will steal from you. They'll lie to you, this, that, and the other. And when he came back, he said, Dad. And I said, you don't have to say a word if you need to move back in. His My wife actually told me what had happened to him. Right. I said, you have no words to say to me, son. I told you you'd come back whenever you wanted to. Mm. I mean, that's what an adult does. He wanted to be an adult. I let him be an adult. He failed. Parents can help you, you know, if you fail. And, you know, and, and there should, it shouldn't be spoken about. And I'm not speaking about it now. I'm just saying, without speaking about it, I let him come back in. Why wouldn't I? He's of course. My son. That's your biological son. You would have to do that. Yeah, you got he, to. Is, he is the last in the line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And see, we used to understand this in our culture. Where I grew up in, you know, everybody knows everything about me. Columbus, Ohio used to be called the largest small town in America. It was a hundred and some odd thousand people, maybe 200,000 at the top before I left at 17 for the Army. And if you screwed up on the east side, west side, north side, south side, somebody knew your parent and there would be a call. If you screwed up to your mother, well, I'm a bastard, so it would just be to my mother. <laughs> yes. And trust me, the ass whooping was coming. 
Oh, that's so true. By the way, I'm glad and, you said that. I'm from, uh, I had to tell you, I'm yeah. from Pittsburgh, and yeah, people don't understand when you talk like that, when you when you say that this is kind of the dynamics of families back then. And um, yeah, I'm glad you actually brought that up because that that seems to be something that's uh, sort of uh, different now in today's society. But but sorry to interrupt you, but I had big to time though. You're right. No, brother, you're you're kicking real truth. You're spitting truth because I, I've been to Pittsburgh. I used to go to the old igloo to watch the Steelers. We didn't have a oh, Columbus yeah. Blue Jackets when I was a kid. I'm 50. <laughs> and so I was always a fan of, you know, the Penguins. Go yeah. Pens, always. And I still am, trust me. Uh, oh, yeah. But what I'm saying is, in the Rust Belt, the Midwest, there was a sense of community. I come back after seven years total, Army, three years, four, four years in the Marine Corps. And uh, when I pulled into Columbus out of the airport, all of a sudden there's Somalians running everywhere. Bill Clinton, Clinton gifted us 60,000 Somalians. Um, the old west side where I grew up, nothing but Mexicans, illegal, running around. Oh, they were chewing ket. The Somalians were chewing ket, which is a uh, narcotic, and they're chewing it on the streets. And I knew what it was. And I told uh, a Columbus cop, I'm like, hey, why don't you arrest them? They're, they're blatantly chewing ket on the corner. Oh, yeah, running around, with real a, violent. running around with huh? a hypnotized mind. Yeah. Oh yes. And and you know what the cop said? Delicious. And he was absolutely <laughs> no. He he was absolutely correct. Well, I would have said that, but yes. But, <laughs> but no, the the cop actually said to me, bro. And I found out when I was a Fed that this is the truth. It had not been scheduled yet as a drug, so they could chew it all they wanted, and they were selling it openly in the stores, man. The Somalian stores. Yeah, it's in, pretty in wild. bundles. Yeah. Pretty Think about wild. that. Yeah. My Everybody knew, knew knew it was a drug, but yet, and this is what diluted and polluted our culture. And so what did I do? Here's my antidote to it. I surrendered. I left my city of Columbus and moved to a smaller town of 14,000 people where I have that same sense of community. And when people say this, they, they often want to say this, that, and the other, but it's a diverse, small community of Americans. There's nobody here speaking another language. We don't have everything printed in English and all the other languages, we actually have English only that we communicate with. And by the way, that's happenstance because German almost became the language of America. A lot of people don't realize that. Oh, so yes. it, it, back in the early uh, founding of our nation, there were two languages that, w that were spoken, and English was slightly spoken more. Slightly. So anyways, I guess the positivity is, Folks, it's not too late. You look at what's happening in Paris. You look at what's happening in Germany. You look at what's happening over in Austria and everywhere east of Austria have woken up. And you have Italy that's woken up. You have Greece that's finally woken up. Did this was those... never about attack. Did you see those um, the riots in France? Mm -hmm. You watched yeah. that footage? Yeah. Pretty wild. It was pretty wild. I didn't expect the French to stand up for themselves that way. Yeah, they're saying, get out. Well, if you didn't, you forgot about the story of Charles Martel, who pushed the Muslims back on the on one of the invasions. Pretty incredible stuff going invasion. on. Right, and huh? the mainstream media really hasn't been focusing too much on the whole fiasco out there in France, which is not surprising whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Pretty right. typical. It is. And, and my intel sources, my one bro from Germany I interviewed, um, he was filling in all kinds of stuff. And I'm going to have him on again because he's went down there and uh, done his thing again. So I'll have an update on that. But uh, I talked to him today, and so I'll probably have him on within the next week. Right but, on. 
I keep it fresh. You know that. Yeah. And well, I try to be relevant. No doubt. And I do want to thank you for calling in here and chiming in. And it's just incredible to see these comedians getting hit the back, back and forth uh, with all these different things. It's It's truly sad. And it doesn't exactly matter what your political ideology is, especially right. to the higher powers. If they deem you a certain way, they will chastise you over it and try to get rid of you. Yep. Well, Max from Pittsburgh, I guarantee you, can tell you the same thing that I'm about to tell you. And you probably had it in California, too, brother. I'm in um, California now, too, by the way. <laughs> oh, okay. okay but you, I'm talking about years back. I never heard a person in my life say, that's a Democrat, don't talk to him. That's a Republican, don't talk to him. Mm-hmm. Now it's all about shut it down. They've gone even after Joe Rogan over bullcrap. They say that the whole dark web is made up of a gay Jew, two other Jewish professors, and Joe Rogan and Stefan Molyneux. The dark web. It's Nazi. No, it's not. It's dudes that are actually talking about real things, you know. It just boggles the mind, brother. And and it makes no sense. My one brother was like, I'm trying to make sense of this this thing. And I'm like, there is no sense to it, man. It's a, it's pretty chaotic, yeah. especially what's going on on all sides of the coin here. And, yes, I do want to yep. thank you again for calling in. All right, brother. It's insane. God thank bless. you, my friend. Take all care. Right. Chatting with you. Bye-bye. And there he goes. Great call, as usual. Yeah. Great, great call. And, my God. Man, Michael. I, I tell you what, this comedian thing is really bothersome. That's one thing, like, com- comedy is one of the outlets where you should be able to be less censored. I mean, that's, that's right. what makes good comedy. How do you go after a comedian? That's all uh, I'm saying. I just don't, I can't believe it. Yep, yep. And by the way, Nick Cannon posted tweets from Amy Schumer, uh, Sarah Silver, uh, oh, Silver, God. Uh, Silverman, and oh, God. Uh, Chelsea Handler that, that <laughs> oh, were no. also similar in nature. And nobody's going after them, right? I rather so, get I mean, I rather get waterboarded than to <laughs> watch Amy Schumer stand up on Netflix uh, or Sil- uh, Sarah Silverman. She's, <laughs> she is the worst as well. She stinks. Uh, Yuck. Uh, oh, Amy uh, as well. Good lord. My goodness. W- would yeah. you sleep with Amy Schumer? Oh no, uh, not my type. Not my what if, what if she was drunk and, and coming on to you at, at, at the LAX there? Not at all. Not at all. She's just all I, drunk and sloppy, and she's like, Max, Max, oh, come here. No, I'd have to. Nah, I'd take you a rain take check. That? I'll take a rain check. You wouldn't take that one. down, huh? <laughs> Amy Schumer uh, or um, what? what's her name? Uh-oh. Um, what's that woman's name? Megan McCain? Oh. Megan. Uh, take that down. Uh, yeah, that Megan, you? yeah, that Megan McCain. That's right. You take that down. Not my type. Not my type. I wouldn't all. go there either. Yeah. Although, um, you know, I'm sure, you know, that would be somebody else's type and that's fine, but. Good God. Okay. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be my type. A gun to your head, Megan McCain or Amy Schumer. You must decide go. I'd shoot myself. That was my, that was my answer. <laughs> I would just shoot I, myself at that point. I'm done. Yeah, shoot myself. Terrible. Definitely. Very myself terrible. Up. What about that Megan Kelly? Uh, you know. And knock that out there. Oh my god. Megan Kelly? Oh, jeez. She's uh, an angry woman, isn't she? She's a nasty, angry woman. Vile. Yeah, she's, she's been a bit triggered lately. She's yeah, had a she's lot of, a, uh, she's a nasty woman, I think. She's been, uh, really a triggered. A lot of ladies have been really fired up lately. They have, yeah. oh, that's actually pretty amazing. A lot of the women, 
a lot of the little ladies out there very angry. Mm-hmm. A lot of war on men, too. There's a war on men going on big we'll, time. We'll talk about that, but back to uh, Megan Kelly. I don't understand mm-hmm. what, why she's so angry about it. Uh, gosh. Yeah, it's a... It's a tough situation there. I, I don't, um, those, uh, f- those Fox uh, anchors, they, they really don't make it out of Fox, right? Yeah. As soon as yeah. they go, it's, they're kind of like 86 everywhere eventually. <laughs> it's such a big vehicle. Um, you have such wide, you know, reach with Fox yet. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating what's happening, um, with a lot of their anchors and, um, yeah. Yeah. I, all the anchors out there, they're all very pretentious. Yep. Every yep. single one on every network. Yep. In my yep. opinion. It, it certainly breeds a certain personality type, doesn't it? I think it does. I think pretentious is a great word for that. Uh, yes. Yeah, there's a certain level of that. There's a certain level of narcissism that's, you know, it seems to be the case with, some you know, of it's, the... it's ironic that you say that because I was talking to, uh, Gareth Ike about mm. some of the problems in America that we face and, uh, one of those I always said, uh, well, what I mentioned to him was, uh, America thrives on narcissism and, um, just, I'm drawing a blank here. Maybe entitlement is, is probably. And how no, I not, not entitlement. <laughs> well, well, you know, uh, tell you what, you know, you're not wrong, but no, yeah. I, I told him that this country basically thrives on narcissism and, and ignorance rather. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, my mind was drawing a blank. I was thinking about other things that he mentioned in that conversation, but you know what? That's kind of what thrives this nation, narcissism and, and pure ignorance. And what I always say, and in terms of the paranormal-type networks out there and a lot of other networks out there, I always say that it's not against the law to profit off of others' ignorances. That's a great statement. Oh, yeah. So true. It's very true, and it applies to every single facet. Uh, all of them out there. Absolutely. That's a very astute point. It's uh, yep. very, very strange to see this, uh, this sort of NPC mindset that has become the new normal. The fact that Twitter and other forms of social media are now places anyone that you've offended can just look up and try to find anything to use against you out of uh, proper context. To me, I think that's goddamn incredible, Max. Me too. Me too. And it's just getting worse. Holy worse shit. Today. I'm with you. I I, I just, I'm baffled by it still. Um, I don't know what happened to uh, this great nation and freedom of speech. It's being taken away and a star. What's going on? Did you have something to add here? There she is. Hi, Mike. What's up? Hi, hi, Max. Hey, hey. Uh, Mike, you just said our nation is driven by narcissism, narcissism and arrogance? Ignorance. Ignorance. I pretty much have to disagree. Well, explain why. Well, I was going to ask you why you think uh, narcissism and ignorance. We can't be holding the position we hold today, and we are, at least we are respected again, which we have not been for, oh, eight or more years. Uh, And we are being respected because we do what we can for others, but we, we're no longer backing down. The last eight years, uh, there was, the president really wasn't into being the president of the United States. He just wanted all the perks that went with it. But you don't think, but you don't think, uh, Donald Trump, you don't think Donald Trump got over on the American people by being narcissistic? 
Okay, wait a minute. I didn't hear you. I, my volume was too low. Yes, but I'm saying, how do you think Donald Trump came to office? Yep. You don't think narcissism didn't play a role in that? And to the American people, to see someone of that stature, I that's... So much, I don't think that's so much narcissism. That's Obama. He is more verbose. Oh, you think Obama was much more of a narcissist? I I think Trump is verbose, but... I think you kind of have he, to be, though, to be the president of the United States. You, you sort of have to be a bit of a narcissist, in my opinion. Not necessarily a narcissist. You need to be self-confident, I'm sorry, self-confident and self-respectful, but not necessarily a narcissist. You have to have confidence in yourself to know the people respect and trust you because you are trustworthy and carry out your plans. You have a staff around that you trust, and I think he is going about it much better. That's that's just that's just my take. And the other question I wanted was to Max Cole, when is he going to start, or is he already, uh, doing podcasts? I know he was doing shows uh, several years ago, but when do we get to start seeing them on YouTube and stuff? Well, yeah, I've been focusing on film. Uh, you know, the, the film uh, podcast was fun for, you know, a couple years, two and a half years, but uh, I've been really focusing on, you know, my true calling, which is film. Um, I know, but films get shown on YouTube. I've, I've seen a lot of old favorites from time to time that pop up. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just, I want to know where to see your stuff. Yeah, I think stay tuned. Stay tuned. It's one of those things where, you know, the creative process is a process, but you got to come correct in this industry. So you can't yeah. really rush it. But I appreciate that uh, positive energy there. And, um, you know, stay tuned. Uh, when I release stuff, I want to make an impact. And, um, you know, a lot of the stuff you that I've released has been in film festivals. But, um, you know, when you talk about doing a feature film, there's so much more involved with that. Sometimes it takes people 10 years. But yes. um, I'm, I'm one of those kind of people that has an unlimited amount of patience. But also, um, you know, uh, want to make sure that uh, I, you know, when I when I release a feature project, it's the right project. So I understand uh, the patience. Yeah, it's 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 a process, um, but patience it's is what gives you the wherewithal to care about your friends, even if they have a different take or opinion on life and all the goodies that go with it. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's how you finish. You got to finish strong. You know, I think exactly. I've been fortunate, but um, you know, at the same time, you know, I'm looking at the the enjoying the race, enjoying the enjoying the process. But also, um, really uh, focused on, uh, you know, presenting the right type of film um, as a feature project or films. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, I appreciate that. It's awesome. It's good hearing. Good hearing my- your voice. Sorry. <laughs> Yours too. I'm gonna hop off, Mike, so you guys can continue. It's a, a great guest you have on. I want to hear more. Amazing. Thank you for the call. You're welcome. Be blessed, Star. And there she goes. Interesting. Yeah. It's funny because, um, you know, one thing I like about listening to this, I right. probably have a different perspective than 99 point. Well, maybe I'll say 95. I have percent. a very different perspective <laughs> as well than a lot of uh, individuals that come on this program. Uh, to be honest with you, my opinion on a lot of things vary very differently from a lot of things here. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell. And, but, but that's what makes, you know, good radio. And, oh, and of course. 
and what that's what I like about your show. You you're open to facilitating discussions from a variety of different perspectives. Oh, well, and, of course, yes. All walks of life are definitely welcome to be on the program. Yeah, and you're not controlled by the media to only produce content that favors one side of different opinions, and I appreciate that about this platform. And um, yes, yeah, it's, it's necessary. And that's what radio used to be. And, you know, it's changed so much. It's changed too much. It's very yep. sad. Yep. Even the podcast, everything that you hear is, is really slanted. People really have become brainwashed and become talking heads, and they're just repeating the same statements. Like, I'll hear Fox News say something, and I'll hear it'll become an echo chamber well, yeah, forever. That's Not true, even Max. That's MSNBC, true. no matter which news outlet, man. It's, it's all the crazy. same. Yeah, you, you could just tune in at 4 a.m., uh, Max, and you'll have all the talking points for the entire day. Yeah, yeah it's, it's um, it's really fascinating, and it's it's disturbing. I don't care too much to talk about politics. It's so boring now for me. But I'll say one thing: it's interesting how we are as a society. We're really at war with each other. It, it's both. funny, yeah. It's the whole me versus you type tribal mm-hmm. mentality. The identity, uh, the identity politics that's played by all sides. When in reality. Politics is kind of like a big pro wrestling match. It's a big political masquerade, in my opinion. And most people are being duped by the left and the right, in my opinion. Absolutely. They're being played. And most people yep. just eat that shit up P.T. Barnum style. Oh, great quote but, right but there. But the thing like is, it, it's the simple fact that most people out there, they don't do their own homework or actually have any sort of discernment. Yep. Discernment's everything. That's by the way, that goes the truth. Yeah, and by the way, Michael, that goes back into what Matthews was saying earlier. One thing that I appreciate about scientists is that politicians are, you know, they're agenda-driven. They're Scientists are not, you know. So the fact that people are politicians or people would favor the side of politicians over scientists is stupid, not even from, even from a logical standpoint. That's what ridiculous. I'm saying. That's what I'm talking about right there, the fact that you would believe someone who gets paid a lie. Yep. Over someone who is actually an intellectual and has taken the time to actually study what they're talking about. Yep. I think I'd rather yep. believe those experts than those that just show up to work and read from a script. Yeah. Yep. For an agenda and to serve other it's people's really, interests. It's really sad wow. to see some people just drink the Kool-Aid, my friend. Yep. On both That's sides. Cool. Yep, it's been tainted. I tell you, it's been tainted. The meat has been sides. tainted, yes. It is. The People meat are... has been tainted. But yeah, Max, we'll, we'll move along from the dirty political masquerade that seems to devour all the minds out there, all the great yep. minds that could be doing so much. Religion and the politics has become just so intertwined. Yep. It's It's amazing. But moving along here, did you watch any good movies this week, Max? I'm very curious. Oh, man, now you're starting to you get me fired up over here, man. You're getting me fired up. I have been watching a ton of movies as of late, but I've been very selective about my movie selection because there hasn't been this hasn't been a great year, I don't think, for movies. And and, you know, there's there's some movies that have been unique, um, but but lately uh, it's been a little bit dry. Uh, n- not as, not as, um, I don't know. I, I just haven't been compiled, compiled to like go to the movies anymore. Um, but I, I, I have caught up with a few flicks that, um, you know, I thought were okay. Um, one of the movies that I liked recently was Bad Times, the El Royale. I thought that was a really fun, unique, uh, flick. And, um, 
that was really, really uh, a cool watch. Um, I did see Bohemian Rhapsody. I saw that. Oh, uh, how was that? How was that? And I'm very curious. Is it worth my time? Well, you know, I love the lead actor in that, and I thought it was. Uh, you know, I'm not a Queen. I mean, I, there's there's songs. Not a Queen fan. Uh, songs. Um, you know, there are songs that I like. There's a few. Know, yeah. You know, but it wasn't really my cup of tea. But uh, oh, you know, I, I like rock. I love music. And uh, to anybody that's not a fan, I know, or that is a fan, I thought that was just a a really good uh, flick from an acting standpoint. From you know, I like anything that's it's good that's about musicians because I love music. Right. And, uh, you know, it was. I thought it was well well done. Um, and fun to watch. You know, that's definitely a fun watch. Um, I yeah, didn't I go to, in. I need to check that out and. I'm not sure if you saw some of that footage from um when Freddie Mercury was really sick. They were playing yeah. that on TV a lot. Did you did you see that that footage? Yes. Wasn't yes. that sad? Yeah, man. Holy was, shit. Ooh, man. It, it the room almost got a little dusty there when I saw that. Yeah. I started good. feeling bad and I don't really get that way. Right. Right. Yeah, it's that's no joke. Um I didn't like that. I didn't like seeing that. Yeah. That I mean, made me feel weird. I, I, I don't know what the hell happened there to me, but I was watching that and I thought, are, are my eyes getting watery? Yes. The deep. hell happened to me? That's deep, 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 deep stuff. I love that the films that have kind of throw back and, uh, we see with cinema, it's the power, it's the power of it's so amazing. It has such a limited reach and it's, you know, oh, yeah. that's one, one thing I love about that. Amazing. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Creed 2. Oh, Creed 2 I saw recently, and I love that too as well. I'm a big fan of Rocky movies, so it's cool, cool seeing Apollo's story. And um, I haven't seen know, that one yet. 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 Did you see the first one? First Creed? Yeah. Uh, good film. Yeah, good film. I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah. And it's it's, it's good seeing uh, Stallone doing his thing and uh, still still keeping that story uh, going. Uh, definitely fun. It's good to watch boxing movies. You know, it reminds me of like my childhood when boxing was actually fun to watch. And you know, you had like there's the heavyweights. Still, there's still some good fights out there. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 slowly starting to crawl back, but it's I don't know. You didn't see that Tyson Fury versus uh, Deontay Wilder? <laughs> yes. Yeah, but that was, a, that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. True. True. I mean, th- I don't know. All coked uh, out. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were gonna go there. That, that, that oh, goddamn Tyson Fury. <laughs> Do coke with that guy. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, oh goodness. I mean, I already go to a bar and I, I get asked if I have any coke on me. <laughs> I guess I look like a coke dealer. I mean, I've got that a couple times, and when when that happens, that's when I know I need to cut my hair. <laughs> that's hilarious. I, I had a woman ask me about that once, actually, in a at a club here in uh, L.A. She was like. You got, she's like, you got any Coke? I was like, man. Yeah, man. On. That's, uh, it's happened more than once out here to me. Yep. Yeah. But it's like, it must be a California thing, man. I mean, it, I think it's amazing though that I don't get messed with at a bar. You know, I could walk in alone and, you know, no one approaches me. Everyone's, you know, everyone's yeah. very timid. Yeah. Intimidated. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. They know yeah. what time it is. Salute to that. They, they, they know maniac when they see one. That's why <laughs> they're probably like, look at this fucking crazy person. You go in all black, though. You got to go in all black. Well, usually I do. That's what's up. Like Johnny Cash. <laughs> but yeah, I, I saw the film um, Flatliners for the first time in ages. Mm, yeah. I haven't seen that in so long. That shit was amazing. Yeah. Wow. Uh, uh, by the way, a... by the way, Max, yeah. there is someone calling in. Oh. 
Let's go ahead and take their call. That's from the 870 area code. You are live on the air. What's going on? Hey, Michael. This is Joe. What's going on, brother? Did you say your name was Joe? Joe. Yeah, Joe Roop. You know me. Oh, that. From Mark Hansen. Oh, shit. What's right. going on, man? How you doing? Good. Hey, did you see the Bob Lazar film? No. Tell me about that. What's going on there? Well, I heard you and Max talking about movies. I just, I don't want to spoil it for you if you hadn't seen it, but. Oh, no, but you can tell me. Of, you can tell me about that. A lot of production. More artsy type stuff than there is information, but um, it's pretty interesting. Though. I have to say, Corbell did a decent job at getting getting everybody's attention. You know, as Which far one? as the UFO thing goes, I don't think Lazar is lying, but there's some stuff in the film that make me wonder. You know, like shots of cell phone times that don't make sense with what the actual time of what's really going on. So you kind of wonder what's what's real and what's not as far as production goes. You know. Yeah, the the whole Bob Lazar thing. I did see that. Mm. I did but see I there feel was like, uh, you know, as far as UFO stuff goes, that we just, I mean, how long are we going to keep rehashing the same The same material. That's over, going over the past 30 years. I right. mean, yeah, Bob Lazar is the most interesting story, I think, out of a lot of them, but we're not getting anywhere, man, and that's a problem, I think. Yeah, it's it's the same material that we've heard time and time again. It's kind of played out. Yeah. You know, you guys were talking the political stuff earlier. I wanted to mention, you know, at least it's not as bad as some parts over in the the Eastern world where they're doing mandatory uh, uh, gay exorcisms. There's a place in Asia right now, (laughs) and I forget the name of it, but I just saw it in an article where if you're gay, that they did a mandatory exorcism on you. Wow. So they could exorcise the demons out of you. So West Hollywood. My God, you can't imagine all the exorcisms. I don't, I mean, it's not, I mean, I know we live in a politically correct right. world right now, but it's it's still better than some other places out there. You know? Oh, no doubt. I mean, this is the greatest nation. Make no yep. doubts about it. I'd rather be here than anywhere else. Right on. Well, I just wanted to call in and say what's up and, uh, you know. Yeah, man, I really. I was listening. Oh, awesome, man. I really do appreciate you taking the time to call in. And the fact that you're listening in here on a Saturday night, that's amazing. Check yeah, man. It's, good. it's one of the best things to do on a Saturday night. Oh, wonderful. I do appreciate that. And what else are you up to tonight? You're just hanging out here. I was going over some notes and news and stuff and just listening to you guys talk. The uh kind of got my attention uh when you were talking about the political stuff. I mean, even Google is doing that now. You know how... I don't know how many people have a Gmail right now, but they're starting to autofill All of us. what you're trying mm-hmm. to type in the Gmail. And uh, they won't do gender words. So if you if it it will not autofill him, her, or he or she because it doesn't want to offend anybody. So in another sense, it is pretty bad. That's how bad oh, it is yeah. as far as PC stuff goes. Ridiculous. And Kevin Hart just said gay. I mean, well, you can't say the word gay now. The fuck kind of world we live in. He's it's, a comedian. He I know. Say what he wants. Exactly. That's what we're talking about here uh, earlier. That. The fact that they're going after comedians as hard as they are, it's, it's just ridiculous. Makes yeah, no I'm sense. With you on that, man. Makes zero sense. Uh, the country is obviously undergoing some sort of strange change where they're trying to make this, this, uh, sort of like the new normal, this sort of behavior, this, uh, NPC type mindset. Well, that's because we don't have George Carlin or Sam Kennison anymore. Oh, my Somebody that's like so that true. to come back. Yeah, it's, uh, it's too bad we don't have these individuals, these great minds 
that actually had balls. But, you know, I, I do believe Kevin Hart stood up though. He, he took a, he took a stand and I praise him for having the balls to not apologize. Did he yeah. end up losing his spot on that? I never did. Yeah. Uh, keep up with that. Oh yeah. Did he he lost it. Oh yeah. He lost his spot. No doubt. He dropped out. Uh, of too bad. His choice. Well, well, well worth it though. Yeah, more people are going to take his side. He needed to do oh. it, though, man. I mean, someone like that, that has that sort of notoriety, it would take someone like him to stand up to the BS. Yeah, for sure. But you guys are also right about the movies. I mean, I've been sitting here all day trying to find a decent movie to watch, and I yeah. can't find anything, nothing. I've been on Netflix, Amazon Prime Video. Yeah. I've been all over the place trying to find a movie to watch that's worth watching. Oh. And I'm just going back and watching like movies I've already seen that I like to watch over and over again. Well, you know, watch like the movie Friday Flatliners. Yeah, watch the movie Flatliners. It's a, it's a great film, especially if you haven't seen it. Yeah, I'll check it out. Flatliners. Flatliners it is. Perfect. You'll find it online. All right, brother. Take uh, care. All right, man. So Cheers. glad you called in. Go ahead and plug anything you'd like, my friend. Uh... Well, I can unplug Lighting the Void, right? I was on your show. I've already done all that you stuff, can, though. But you can plug it again. Just, Go ahead. Yeah, just uh, my website's lightingthevoid.com. I do a show over on the Fringe FM as well. I hadn't talked to Max. It's been a long time since I heard Max's voice, actually. It's been a while. Oh, that's um, been a minute. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm going to go ahead and get off here, though. Amazing. Yeah, Bill Hicks. We need another Bill Hicks, We need too. Bill Let's Hicks. Put that up in the chat room. Oh, yeah. All right, man. Uh, thanks for calling in, and we'll talk again. All right, Michael. All take right. care. Take care, buddy. Cheers. Cheers. And there he goes, Joe Roop. Man, really like cool him. He's a, he's a great guy, great host. Like talking to him behind the scenes. He's got some pretty good insight. And of course, Flatliners. If you have not seen the film, holy shit, it's great. I haven't seen it in so long. Jesus Christ, that that Kevin Bacon. He's all young, and that Julia Roberts. They, they uh -huh. look like they look like kids in that movie, man. It was incredible. Yeah, it's a cool thing. By the way, cinema's timeless like that. Isn't it great when you can uh, watch something from the past and still get something out of it? Oh, awesome. I love it. Oh, yeah, I love it, man. It's an, it's amazing to go back in time and watch some of these great films that you didn't really appreciate at the, at the time. Because I saw that movie, and, of course, I was so young, I didn't really comprehend everything as thoroughly as I do now later on in life. And that mm -hmm. movie was pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, I vividly remember certain parts of that film. I remember it was like more a sci-fi, like a, a bit of thriller action. It was like a, it was a, it was a gripping uh, film. I remember Julia Roberts. I used to have a crush on her when I was younger. I mean, who didn't? <laughs> Lots of guys wanted to go at that. Uh, That's very true. And uh, speaking of inappropriateness, how do you feel about that Neil deGrasse Tyson? You know what, um, Mr. Cosmos? Yeah, I mean, oh, man. Man, 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 again. I mean, I know he, I know he must have some sort of game slightly, but I think he's a bit of a cornball. <laughs> yeah. He's gotta be a cornball. I mean, I, I'm sure there's plenty of women who want to go and just bang him. Uh, but those are uh, like, those are like groupies and stuff. But I'm talking about, you know, normal women that he, he tried to hit on. I have a feeling they weren't really feeling him. I think he was being a bit of a cornball. Absolutely. You think Absolutely. so too, right? You get that vibe? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I definitely think so. Sad. It's, That's sad. It's crazy all this, these allegations that are popping up though, uh, with people's careers and again, know, again, it goes back to that whole NPC type, SJW mm -hmm. type mindset. And the fact that social media has become the way it has, it, it's so polarizing. And it really is the fact that 
anyone can go and just look that up and just completely bury you with it. Yeah, it's a, a vehicle for madness. Astonishing, man. Yeah, I'm fucked then. Did I'll you, tell you that. Did you ever think that would happen, <laughs> though? Did you ever think Twitter would ever become that powerful? No, not at all. Uh, not at all. But, you know, I, I didn't think words could be used so ridiculously against people. And I, I don't know, man. It's just, it's getting to be a, a bit ridiculous. Star uh, said, uh, cosmic cornball. That's pretty good. <laughs> But I think he's he's cool, though. I mean, he thinks outside the box. I like him. Uh, Don't get me wrong. It's not a personal issue for me personally. Yeah. You know, I like the guy. I, I would drink a beer with him. Absolutely. I mean, he yeah. would drink a beer with a few women, obviously. <laughs> I think he tried, but it didn't work out the way he wanted it to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he's he been accused of some interesting stuff. That's for sure. And I don't know. I mean, it, these no one's safe. things happen all the time. No one's safe, man. Nope. nope. I, I'm not even safe. Nope. It's crazy. It's Oof. crazy. I, I don't know. What do you think about it, though, Michael? It's I mean, just a number of these, given the fact that a number of these professors seem to get popped for this, so it's not yeah. exactly out of the norm, especially with all the female teachers that, that sleep around with both male and female students alike. And this mm-hmm. is something I always talk about. And there's a, a so, so many different cases. If you even look up the news, just type in woman sleeps with student, and, and you're going to get all sorts of recent hits. Yep. Because this is yeah. just something that's so, so again, I don't want to use the word again, but so polarizing. It is. It's going to get to the point, Michael, where people, like men, are not going to want to work with women and vice versa. It's, it's getting there yeah. already. Yep. Yep. Um, Hollywood's a weird animal, though. So much shit goes down on sets and behind the scenes. and Yeah, like that, you know, that Charlie Sheen. Yeah. That Corey Feldman. I mean, I mean, honestly, and also, <clears throat> just to let you know, I mean, the stuff that you see even during auditions is pretty, pretty wild. Pretty I mean, raunchy. I've, I've, let me tell you, I've had, just to be real, I've had women masturbate on camera. Oh, my God. Know, or, you know, for roles, like, as part of the role. Um, you know, so I, I think the lines are often blurred, uh, with, with certain things. And, um, you know, I, it's a, it's a weird thing to navigate, uh, you know, just the interactions that you have. And, you know, especially in a, an industry where sex sells so much. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. It, it can be very, very, I, I think a lot of people are going to end up going down or getting accused of different things because to be honest with you, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on about it that's not really regulated. And you know, that goes for any job though. I mean, everybody knows people. I, I remember when I was back in the days of retail working at Best Buy and, you know, managers and people would be saying all kinds of stuff. There were people, I remember when I, my first job working at McDonald's, people were having sex on a, like outside in the back near the garbage can. Good Lord. <laughs> but, but it's true but you, though. A lot of, a lot of retail places, fast yeah. food places, restaurants, a lot of the, the employees, they're straight up banging. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's a lot absolutely. of that going on. Lots of marriages being wrecked behind the scenes. Yep. yep. Lots mm-hmm. of boyfriends and girlfriends and my boyfriend's boyfriend's girlfriend. It's a very unusual time. Yep. It doesn't matter the field you're in. And the thing is, is that just people in the Hollywood just have that spotlight on them. So, you know, they're no different than everybody else. Of course people not. say, oh, Hollywood's crazy. You know what? They're not doing anything different than your neighbors or your maybe your kids or maybe you. I know. Maybe you behind the scenes. Yeah. You never really know what your neighbors are doing either behind those closed curtains. No, that's the truth. You never it? know. You might think Our it's boy. a perfect marriage or relationship, but behind closed doors, it's a different yep. story, man. Yep. Different ball game. Just look at that Casey Anthony. 
Oh, jeez. She made she made the, the 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 headlines not so long ago. Coming back, apparently one of her roommates were, were uh, speaking out, saying that she's lying about everything. Yeah. But don't you also have to like look at the guy and sort of think, huh? She was your roommate. Did she not put out? Is that why you're doing this? Yep. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. the first thing that comes to my mind. Sadly. Mm-hmm. I think the reality is that people are just savage, and I think we hold people to these ridiculous control mechanisms and precedents yeah. that we yeah. expect. We we expect too much. I think we're animals. We are. We're lucky. I mean, everybody would be fucking if if it were if we were if it weren't controlled or if it were legal weren't illegal. Honestly, I mean, dogs don't take a you know the dogs when they want to have sex they're not they're not going you know maybe I'm going to offend this other dog. No, they're doing dog, it. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna get up behind and you know yeah. go to town. They're going to handle their business. And uh, speaking of which, uh, Harvey, Harvey Weinstein's lawyer now making new claims, startling new information about the accuser. Did you happen to see that, Max? No. I, uh, I'm i curious. Yeah, apparently an email appeared to show the woman who accused Weinstein of rape attending a movie screening at his invitation just hours after police said the alleged attack occurred. Jeez. Isn't that interesting? Yes, it is. Wow, and Man. it's a and they got the email. Man, oh God, there's so much dirty stuff going on in Hollywood, though. Oh man, it's so crazy. It's so it crazy, is. and it's true though. Why would she even attend this event after the rape happened? Exactly. So much of that stuff is questionable. Uh, man. Um, wow. Wow, yeah. wow. 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 Yeah. Uh, it's a war on. There's a war though that's definitely going on on men. No matter which side of the equation you're on on this stuff. The war on men is true. Man. There is, there is an agenda for those that are paying attention. It definitely is almost dirty to be a man. You almost can't be a man and you can't even stand up for other men. It's completely backwards in America. And we talk about this every show, but it's the goddamn truth. Yep. The masculinity is getting killed, literally getting suppressed. Guys, nuts are just literally getting crushed by the moments. Oh, I know. By it's the, it's by terrible. The, by the I'm not sure why, why this sort of thing is happening, but that's sort of the agenda that's taking place now here in uh, 20. When did it really start? Was it 2016 when it really started to move forward? That's a good question. It's, it's been, yeah, it's definitely been the last, like within the last five years, starting to see a weird sort of. It just got, it just got energy. really, really dirty at the very end there. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now yep. it's like you, you don't even know who to believe now. Yeah, you don't. It's all craziness. Oh, yeah. Um, it's designed that way. But, yeah, it's uh, I'm really uncomfortable about the way I'm seeing, you know, men sort of just um, get um, buried and just uh, a lot of BS and not appreciated. You know, there's just really this this current of, of men getting you know, just um, a lot of um, shame, a lot of uh, just weird stuff. And you've got your creeps, but I'm definitely seeing you know, a lot of activity, especially even on Twitter when I get on there. I see so much male bassing. It's, it drives me crazy to sit there sometimes and just listen to it. Uh, can't be a man anymore. It's it's terrible. It is. It is. Masculine. Men can't even talk. No, not know? at all. I mean, so. you are vilified again if you even try to stand up for other men. Yep. Yep. I can't really believe is. it. I don't know what happened, Max. Things used to be a lot different, but now everything is just negative. And if you offend someone, now you are, you're this, you're that. It's now a hate crime. It's yep. just ridiculous. I, I, again, what the hell happened? 
Yep. Yep. Uh, I, I hope it changes, but I don't know. People just need to speak up more. Uh, the, um, I think, uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely see what happens. <laughs> well, we definitely uh, will. But Max, I do want to thank you for being a part of the program. I'm about to wrap this one up here. Any final closing pun, words? Pun intended, by the way. Right. Sorry. It's okay. Any, any final <laughs> words, Max? You know what? Uh, great job with this show. Uh, shout out to everybody that, you know, that listens and tunes in and, and supports this program. And, uh, you know, you've been really doing a lot of great work. So I'll just leave with some positive words. And, um, you know, uh, regardless of the, the perspective shared, I, I find this to be a, just a wonderful format, uh, for talk and discussion and for thinking outside the box. And that's something that I really appreciate that you keep doing. So I just, you know, continue to wish you, uh, you know, success with it and hopefully it expands, you know, just, just as, as much as, as much as, it, as much as the universe will allow, which should be an infinite amount. So, you know, hopefully you continue, um, down the path of greatness and, uh, you know, shout out to everybody that, that is listening, that shares their perspective and that keeps it real. And, um, you know, everybody just wishing everybody a, a nice uh, holiday season, whether or not you celebrate cheers and uh, be safe and, uh, you know, Godspeed. Incredible. Once again, thank you so much for being a part of the program, Max, and I'll see you on the flip side. Cheers. Thanks for having me, man. All right, Cody. Take care. Mahalo. You too, man. You too, man. And there he goes, Max Cole. Don't forget if you missed last week's episode, go on YouTube or go to michaeldeacon.com. I also want to thank deprogrammedradio.com for all the help they do. Really do appreciate that. And, of course, you can go to michaeldeacon.com as well and click the donate button there if you want to help this program and you want to see it expand. Definitely do that. Any sort of amount is preferred. I also appreciate those outside of America. Once again, I have noticed the international listeners out there, those in Germany and the U.K. and Canada and Austria, New Zealand, Afghanistan, and, of course, Turkey. I see you out there. Very active here on the stream. The international listeners I really do love so much. Those who have written into uh, the program here, the, the emails, the emails are, are just insane. I really, really do love all of that. And I can truly say we are all universally one. Thank you very much for all the support. I hope you enjoyed tonight's program as much as I did. And, of course, if you are listening to this on a replay, keep in mind you can hear this replay on the TuneIn Radio app by searching End of Days, and you'll find the 24-7 network. Again, I hope you did enjoy tonight's program. We didn't find all the answers, perhaps, but we certainly obtained bits and pieces to that cosmic puzzle board yet again. I'm Michael Deacon. Thank you all for joining me here tonight on this uh, beautiful journey. And uh, with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. Well, that was something I was going to ask you about, Michael. <laughs> I was, I was going to ask. Well, I was going to ask. Thinking the Illuminati, yeah, we won't go into behind that, but the Illuminati certainly is part of the whole thing. The top members of the Illuminati are open worshippers. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me how appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holden right now. Thanks. Oh, Granny, I like Granny. I'm gonna keep you real. A lot of good content. A lot of, a lot of cool stuff.
one of the most incredibly well-rounded shows. 22 years old, still virgin. Guess what? Successfully, at least.